Oi, you lot, you listen to Garage Hammer, episode 180. On tonight's episode, the Monlings take you to the Chaos Realms, along with those Stormcast, the Faithful Ones, heading off into the Plague Garden. So shut it! I'm listening to me show! Welcome to the Garage, you tools. For the next three hours or thereabouts... We'll do our best to keep you informed, entertained, and perhaps have a laugh or two along the way. Bringing you Sargasso Citadels, tournament chats, and a peaceful walk through the garden. I'm Alex Gonzalez. And I'm Jim Hopper. No? The only thing I can think is Doc Hopper's French fried frog legs from the Muppet movie. Oh, that would have been awesome. I should have been Doc Hopper. Now I feel bad, like I totally missed an opportunity. Oh, no, Jim Hopper, the guy, uh, the cop from Stranger Things. I have never watched it. Oh, you're missing out. It's pretty good. I know. (laughs) Trust me, I know. Everybody tells me every day when I tell them I don't watch Stranger Things. It's like I know, I know. Oh, I thought that one would be easy. I almost went with Stephen Strange because I went to go see Thor Ragnarok. But I thought you'd get another one of those. Okay, now you're just trying. Now you're just making fun of me. So, to be honest, I've never even seen Thor. Oh, but you know who Doctor Strange is, right? Which one? There are several. No, Stephen Strange is Doctor Strange. Yeah, but then there's also Doctor Hugo Strange and Batman. Oh, 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 that's true. But I said Stephen Strange, so that couldn't. Then no, it would have been. Doctor Strange, like ah, the Marvel Doctor Strange, you. Like the DC Doctor Strange. Look at you. Going deep with the Hugo Strange. All right. Uh, you know what? Now that we're done with my nonsense, why don't we take a second and uh, say thank you to our wonderful, fantastic, stupendous sponsors. Absolutely. So, as always, you need to take a moment to thank the sponsors of Garage Hammer, which include Unique Gifts and Games. In Gray's Lake, Illinois. Chaos Orc Superstore. Chaos Orc Superstore. Chaos Orc Superstore. Chaos Orc Superstore. And Six Squared Studios. For all your MDF movement tray and paint tray needs. Um, yeah, after going to uh, Holy Havoc there, uh, you know what? Paint tra- uh, Movement trays are not a bad thing for uh, for your hordes. Or, heck, even for your smaller units, if you've got, like, tens, just giving them a quick slide. I mean, it only saves maybe, what, 30 seconds here and there, but over six turns, you know, mm-hmm. you can save a couple of minutes per unit. Um, It's pretty awesome. They sent me this prototype, and they don't – I can't really show it to anybody yet because it's not done – but I get this box in the mail. First of all, they sent me Canadian chocolate candies, which is fantastic because that always makes Heather happy. Thanks, guys, by the way. And then I get this hinged box. And it's like a hinged box, right? All out of MDF mm-hmm. looking all nice. And, I, and it's like smells like varnish and all. And it's got a little slide latch. And I flick the little side latch open. And it just. And what's in the box? What's in the box? It's like a paint holder. Oh. It's like a little, all it needs. Honestly, I looked at. It, I'm like, this could use a strap, like like a little handle strap for the top. Yeah. But other than that, like, it just swings open, and it's like if you saw the YouTube video where I put together their little paint tray, where they got the little base with the little, uh, you know, thing a little above it with the rings. 
Mm-hmm. The little thing with the rings is sort of like right on right on the base. So you could just have a little, just boop, 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 put them in there. There's little shelves on the inside. You can just put your paints down, boom, crack it open. Uh, it's still in like prototype form, but I'm just like, this is kind of nice. Like those guys are constantly thinking and putting stuff together and trying to figure out uh, new ways to to get get things we need through the through the joy of uh, MDF and laser cutting. It's fantastic. Hmm. So just want to throw that out there. Uh, and you know what? We should also thank the Patreon uh, patrons. The almost one percent. The numbers are growing, folks, and that's pretty amazing. It's pretty exciting. Uh, we're still at the less than one percent. Um, but I want to thank our associate producers, Shirley Tempel, uh, Phil Elliott, Matthew Pagram, and our executive producer, Bradley Graham. So got four guys up in those heavy producer slots. We're supposed to have a meeting next week, planning out what we're going to be doing over the next few months, and that's going to be exciting as well. Uh, of course, we want to thank and welcome our newest patrons, Jesse Perkins, Michael Westendorf, and Stuart Slaw, Slog. Sloth, S-L-A-U-G-H. I'm mangling that, and I apologize, but that one's that can go like three different ways based on what nationality he is, so I don't know. Um, but thank you guys for becoming some of the almost 1% who uh, make all this stuff that we're doing on the show possible. I'm really excited. Like, it's really cool when you get in there and you start seeing, you know, little people, you know, like, you know, oh, someone's in, someone's in, someone's in. Um, mm-hmm. You know the funniest part is now I had I got two I got two messages from people who became patrons in the past like month. Yeah, and someone like someone lowered their their pledge down to the dollar pledge, and they like mm-hmm. sent me an apology email, and I'm like, what? And then someone else pledged at a dollar, and they sent me an email like, oh, I wanted to pledge, I can't pledge much, but I just wanted to help out, and I I responded kind of the same to the both. I'm like, dude, you think my show's worth a dollar? Like, and I know that sounds you know. But that's not insulting at all. Like, this is a free show. Like, you know what I'm saying? It's out Mm -hmm. there. You don't have to pay a dime. First of all, the fact that anybody thinks that this show is worth giving money for is, like, so flattering and so, like, ridiculous. It's, like, it's ridiculous, really, at times when you think about it. And then, so... You know, for people to be like, oh, you know, like, it's like, dude, you literally think, not only think the show is worth a dollar every episode, but like, it's actually free. So like, you're actually, it's like beyond like, yes, you could pay a dollar or you could just have it. And you're like, nah, dude, I'll pay a dollar. It's worth it to me. That to me means a lot. Like, I don't Mm -hmm. care about where, what level, you know, like, you know, I mean, when people send me an email apologizing because they can only donate so much, like I'm, I'm flattered. I feel a little bad. I'm like, dude, seriously, you're helping out. You have no idea how much you're helping out. Thank you. It's awesome. Um, it was just kind of crazy. I could not believe I got people like, you know, sorry, I don't have more money for you for your free thing. I was like, dude, no, seriously, it's totally, it's yeah. It's every little bit. Yeah. We appreciate every, person that signs up because I, I because you don't have to at all and that's the thing and it's like wow okay cool no in fact we're getting really close to uh we're getting really close to having garage gamer come back which i think is going to focus more on little sidey things and, and other things we're doing and possibly even 
some movies and things like that. Just talk some movies since I've been going to the movies quite a bit. And I talk movies on the side when I'm having paint night with my friends. So we might do some of those, some other games. Um, but I'm I'm really excited. Like I said, people really think this is worth that. And to me, that, that means a lot. So, all right, let's get past that. Uh, I'll, I will stop. Uh, I'll stop. <laughs> I will stop kissing all the Patreon butt at the moment and move on. Um, hey, we don't have any today. To share with the audience, but did you know, Alex, that we have voicemail? We have voicemail? <laughs> you did know. You I knew. do know. You do know. You know, Chris, you hosted this show for like three years, and he never knew. Every time I told him, he's like, we have voicemail? It never no. caught on. So, But you cottoned on with only months. That See, this is why you are such an excellent co-host for this show. Um. One seven five seven GH show six. That's one seven five seven GH show six. International callers from most countries, please dial zero zero before dialing one seven five seven GH show six. We love voicemails. We play a lot of them on the show. The only time we did it was when we got like thirty in like a week and a half, and it was like, oh, this ain't happening. We already, you know. So feel free to send us voicemail. We like it. We like voicemail. We like email. We like all these things. We love keeping in touch with the listeners. That's what makes the show fun. So uh, I think that's it. You want to take a break and then come back with the uh, Garage Hammer News Network and the Toolbox? Yeah, probably should. All right, folks. We'll be back in a second. Folks, Chaos Orc Superstore, your one-stop shop for all your hobby gaming needs. They've not only got current and classic GW releases, Chessex Dice, and Vallejo Paints, but now they're also carrying Mantic, Infinity, Flames of War, Privateer Press, Soda Pop, Dark Age, and other assorted boarded miniature-based games. They usually ship within 24 hours, and the model in the picture is the model they ship to you, because at Chaos Orc Superstore, what you see is what you get. And we are back with the Garage Hammer News Network. Dude. I'm so good at that. I am. You are? You're getting there. Process. Oh, so, um, well, Shade Spire's out and being played all over the place. Yes. All over the place. Yes, it is, man. Every time I turn around, someone's pulling out a copy of Shadespire. It's kind of awesome. Like, mm-hmm. uh, it's exciting to see this happening. Um, only news I've really seen for Age of Sigmar is they they gave a sneak peek of the Skaven crew. Yeah, in the video and the new uh, logo for Age of Sigmar. So, Oh, yes, the new logo, yes. Yeah. The new Skaven, though, knock it out of the park. I'm really happy with what they've done with them. Yep. Very dynamic poses. Usually the types of dynamic poses you only see reserved for characters. 
Yeah, and they've all got that, especially the character yeah. being up on that bit of masonry. No, it's nice. Now, that's coming. It said 2018. I'm hoping it's earlier in 2018 than later, but I'm not going to complain either way. Um, and, like, that's literally all the news. It looks like no more uh, – looks like uh, Age of Sigmar is uh, – Sigmar's taking a, taking a rest. For the for the for the holiday season is what it seems like at least unless I missed something else that's coming out in the next few weeks. Yeah, and then we also saw the Dark Oath War Queen. Yeah, I liked it. I'm gonna need to see that one in the flesh. I mean, it's a great looking model as far as I can tell, but it's just the proportions that I'm gonna need to really see compared to like the Dark Oath Chieftain. What do you mean? Well, like. Bright Shield from Shadespire, you could clearly discern that the features are smaller where appropriate. And she's, and the War Queen is kind of a bit hulkier. So she's a barbarian but, queen. She, you got to be big. There's no demure little petite barbarian queens. She's a, oh, dude, I know, but a Stormforge, you see those thighs? She'll crush your head like a walnut. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not joking. She looks tough. Like, yeah, they didn't go. Like, you know, I'm seeing mixed things because you always got the people who are like, oh, the breastplate and the blah blah blah, and she's kind of bikinied out. But I'm like, she's like barbarian queen. Like, that's how all the barbarian people look. Um, but they didn't do her like some little skinny. You know, she doesn't look like a witch elf. No, that's a whole lot of woman, but I yeah, mean, no, but it's but it's kind of awesome. Like she looks tough. Like this is a, this screams barbarian queen to me. You know what I'm saying? Sure. I don't Again, know. I'll just need to see it when she comes out because I mean, right now the model looks really promising, but we'll see. Always got to check it. Oh yeah, I mean yeah. There's and you know the funny thing is is ninety percent of the time when I'm like when I'm on the fence like that and need to see it in person. It usually swings to pretty good lately. Like, <laughs> it's rare that I'm on the fence and then I go, nope, now that I've seen it in person, I was right. This is terrible. Most of the time when I think they're not so good and I ch- decide to check them out in person, I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised. Yeah. The only one I can think of that took a while for me, like, even when I saw it in person, I wasn't certain, was the Morn Fang Cav. Yeah. And, and then, then the, the what? what are they called now? The Bulgors. Like, that is a model I can't get over. No, but see, we looked at those, and there was never a let's take a look at the model with that. We saw that, and I'm like, no, those are terrible. Yeah. Like, we saw the pictures, and we're like, no, those are terrible, and we never changed our minds. Like, we never said, hey, wait, let's wait for the picture. The two I can remember saying wait for the model was the A-bomb, or no, the Hell Pit. Yeah, the Hell Pit. Hell Pit Uh, Abomination, yeah. Which, when I saw it in person, I was like, actually, this is a lot cooler than the picture did you know, the picture didn't do it justice. The Morn Fang eventually grew on me. It was just that tiny, tiny backside. They're like Butch from the Tom and Jerry cartoons. Yep. And at first I saw him like, no, that's that's kind of dumb. Like, I don't get, like, what? How does he not fall on his face every time he moves? Um, but that that actually, that one, it, it grew on me the more I sort of looked at it and fiddled with it. So mm-hmm. I'm kind of yeah. I forgot about her, which that's terrible to say, but uh, I thought that was a pretty cool model. Um, what else? You know, since we just might as well just mention things because, well, now that we're playing both, 
Codex Tyranids drops today. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm kind of excited. Like, I don't want to be spending money on all these books, but I love reading the lore, and the Tyranids kind of are neat to me. Like, and I'm just wondering, what kind of lore can you write for them? Like, you can't write from their point of view, per se, so what are you doing? It's mostly, like, like in the last books that have been come out for them, it's more, like, descriptions of where they're active and how the process works from, more like, a scientific study perspective. Yeah, versus, that's what I was expecting, yeah. Yeah, and to be honest, I have a hard time getting into the dino bugs because every time I look at them, I just see xenomorphs, and I want to paint them black. And that is a very boring-looking army, but it would look really cool. It would look really cool if you highlighted it properly and did little markings on it. Like, it would be all about the the, uh, the highlighting and the edging and the and the markings. Right. Um, I don't want to necessarily build an army that... Now, what are the next two books? I know one of them is Dark Angels. And then it's Blood Angels. It is Blood Angels and Dark Angels. That's what I thought. I couldn't... But I, as I was saying it to myself, I'm like, no, that sounds like you you latched onto Dark Angels and are just, just adding, you know, the, the other angels. I'm, I, I, it, okay. I know we don't talk too much 40K here, but if you had your druthers, what, what, would, you, what would you have come out next? Like what codex? Because Craft Worlds covered most of the Eldar stuff. It only covered the Craft World stuff. You still have the Jukari, the Yanari, and the Harlequins that are still missing. See, yeah. Okay, that's what I thought. And then we still don't have Tau. We still don't have Orcs. So I'm asking right. you, if you were if you pick the next book to come out and you could pick any chapter, any faction, any group, what book? Probably orcs. Yep, that's okay. Good, we're on the same page. That's the one I'm waiting for. <laughs> yeah, and they're just I mean, I so, the, they are so much fun. Just, that's a word. No, come on. Their lore is goofy. The the, no, the way they make things work is crazy. The models are actually pretty cool. Um, that 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 old clown prince of of the Warhammer world stuff that they used to have that was kind of annoying in fantasy kind of works in forty k. Like, A little bit, it, <laughs> it's just insane. Mm-hmm. But that's just yeah. me. I, we won't talk and, too much forty k. But go ahead. What were you going to say? Yeah, and they do need some updated figs. Like the war buggies and the war tracks are in definite need of update. So I yeah. don't know. Chris, you and I were having this conversation because he got the Craft Worlds book and he's like, it didn't really inspire me to do much. It was just point shuffling and stats reassignment, but there's no new models, no new anything. And I'm like, what are you, you going to do? Like, what are you going to like? He's like, well, you know, the Guardians or whatever the whatever the core models are for the Eldar. He's like, they're the sculpture like over a decade old. And I'm like, well, yeah. But they all kind of match, like, very closely. Mm-hmm. So it's like, well, if you're going to seriously change that one, then you got to kind of seriously change the whole line, don't you? Oh, my God. You know, you, it, even though that sculpt is old, it still works. And he's like, meh. He's like, you could keep that same aesthetic and just clean it up a bit and, and add some better poses and stuff without having to redo the line. And I was like, oh, you got a point there. It might be yeah. nice to see newer sculpts for them. Because when they came out with the uh, plastic weapon platform for the Guardian squads, 
those are new guardians done in the same aesthetic, so they could possibly do it. Just I remember putting those plastic guardians together and crying every time because there were so many needless pieces for what you got. So. Well, Eldar are a needless race, so whatever. So. Hey, now. <laughs> oh, I just loving it. I love annoying our elven friends. Um, no, I, I like, you know, dude, you know me. I like all the armies. If I could afford it and I had room, I'd have every army for everybody and just screw around with it. But uh, so um, I think that's it. There's like not a ton of news. I mean, it's Christmas time. We're coming close on the holiday season here. So uh, latest White Dwarf, tons of those. Uh, little holiday bundles and, and get started packs all advertising them. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, that's about it. Oh, and I'll, I'll, you know, we'll talk about it in the toolbox. So yeah, let's what you want. You want to move on to the toolbox? Is the news over? Do, 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 I... do, do, do. Oh <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. Yep. I thought so. All right. So let's move on to the toolbox brought to you by Catherine Superstore. I said Chaos Orc Superstore. I know. Okay. I want to imagine that everyone at home is saying Chaos Orc Superstore. So that's where I was going with it. But That's right. Let's get on it. Come on. Everybody say it with me now. Three, two, one. Chaos Orc Superstore. See? Thanks, Andrea. Thanks, Audience Brad. participation. Thanks, there we go. Yep. Um. All right, so you've been doing you've been kind of hardcore modeling because I've been seeing your stuff popping up on Twitter and stuff. Yeah, I've been a busy, busy person. Um, so as far as like doing the hobby, I got the Stormcast and the Bloodbound done for Shadespire. I got the Iron Jaws and Skeletons put together. So been busy on that. I finished five Sternguard and Captain for my Salamanders, and then I just finished. Uh, my ver- my rendition of Black Talon. Um, so she's in my blue and gray, but she's got bright orange hair because I like the look of bright orange hair. So nice, but I just can't bring myself to painting an army of fire slayers because that's no. Um, but I've still got more Storm Guard on the table that I'm working on. Um, there's still way too much to do for the pack of narrative. Not gonna lie, I've got. A lot to do. It's like 16 infantry and two tanks. And the infantry that I'm painting right now, it's the Stern Guard, the Devastators, and Sniper Scouts, and Vulcan. What so, is this for? The pack of narrative. Oh, and you have how many to paint again? 16 and two tanks. Huh. Okay. Not all of my guys are just stock blue, bro. I've got 28 Devastators to paint. That's your own damn fault. Calgar, Tigerius. Still your fault. Yep. One Sniper. Still and a Kulexus Assassin. Did a whole new army Dude. just for... Oh, my list? I got Calgar and the Libra- and Chief Librarian Tigerius. Okay. Then I got four units of uh, Devastators. Seven guys in them. I got my... Sergeant with then two just two grunts, and then one unit has four las cannons. One unit has four las cannons. One unit has four uh, the heavy bolters, and one unit has four of it's. I think the multi meltas. I don't think they have the grav guns. And then I got six snipers and a Kulexus assassin. 
So I don't have a lot to grab objectives, but my hope is I won't need a lot to grab objectives because I'll be able to grab them after I blow stuff up. Jesus. That's my narrative. Okay. My narrative, my, la- my, my last unit lost three games in a row, got tabled three times in a row, so we're looking for them. And they obviously, they weren't lightweights, and they got wiped out, so now we got to send in guys to find them. Grief. <laughs> I told you my buddy Jay helped me with the list. He's I like, know. I do this. I know. I'm excited. So, hey, guess what I was doing yesterday? Because I haven't done any hobby like since the last time we did the show because I had work and then I was getting ready for Holy Havoc. You put together Necromunda stuff. I did. I started yeah, putting jerk. that stuff together yesterday. Dude, okay, I got an email yesterday saying, hey, this is coming. And then I got home and it was here. Mm. And so I Harrison saw it and started freaking out because he's like, Shane Spire seems like it might be okay, but Necromunda, we got to play. And I'm like, what do you know from Necromunda? And apparently his one, a couple of his friends who he's been playing uh, role-playing games with like used to play Necromunda. And, like, they're super excited and got him all excited. And I'm like, okay. Like, you saw me play Mordheim at at uh, uh, Gen Con. He's like, yeah. I'm like, you know, Necro- he's like, yeah, Necromunda's like that, only 40K. I'm like, except this version is not exactly like that. Now, there's that expansion book that, that lets you do the campaigning. Yeah, that, the gang war book. Yeah, that's supposed to bring it more in, in line with what old Necromunda is. Um, and that's, the, the book does seem to do that. Um but still, I'm like, you know, just, you know, relax yourself here. Um, so I've been putting those dudes together. Um, those are some <laughs> those are some fun to put together models, I'm going to tell you. Like, they, like, they've got the thing where they only go in that one way, like, like you mm-hmm. know, where the arm meets the elbow. It's got, like, you know, little certain divots cut in them, so they notch and they slide in perfect. You know, you're looking at it like, I can't see how this goes together. And all of a sudden, you put it together, and it's, like, seamless. It's, like, right in the indentation of the muscle. Um, you do have to put on, like, the, the like they've got all these guys with the mohawks. Like, you've got the neck and the mohawk are one piece that goes into the body, and then you slide the face in. So there are some small pieces here. Like, oh, my goodness. But... uh it's still it's that's it, dude. This is pretty nice. I'm getting. I'm kind of excited. We're gonna have to play that. We're gonna have to try that out, and uh, possibly do a YouTube video on that because that was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So that's it, though. All I know is I'm psyched to play. That's what I know. So what have you been? Uh, you, you already did your modeling. I did mine. I'm sorry, I cut you off. Were you all done with your modeling? No, I'm done. Okay, good. I thought you were done, but then I didn't actually double check, and now I'm looking at my notes, and I'm like, oh, you didn't even check. How rude. Um. Gaming, all I did was at Holy Havoc. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of gaming there, but... There was a lot of gaming there. <laughs> so, um, I, I don't I don't want to spend a ton of time going over games and stuff like that just because I, I, I want to get through Play Garden with, uh, you know, without us taking all day doing this recording. Mm-hmm. But um, it, Holy Havoc was a really interesting team tournament. Like I had a lot of fun with it, but the format and the objectives and the way you scored was just different from anything else. Everything else, yeah. It was. You want to talk about this a little bit? Because I, I, I kind of liked it. It was once once I cottoned down to what was going on. It was rather refreshing. It's refreshing and mind boggling at the same time. 
Uh-huh. Because there is so much to keep track of with Herner's tournaments. Like, I have no problem with the multiple objectives. It's when you take the multiple objectives and combine it with all of these terrain features, which are gorgeous, but they all have their own unique rules that you have to try to remember. There is a lot of bookkeeping. Yes. So you really have to be on it. And I think he kind of expects everybody to read the tournament pack and know all the table maps well in advance. <laughs> but it is a lot. It's it a, is a dude, tall it's a lot order. to take in. I, I was going through. Now, I, for everyone, I was just, I came in as a ringer. I called Steve and said, look, I don't have a partner. I know it's sold out. Do you need any help? Like, I've got that weekend to come down and hang out with my bros, and I I would love to come down and help out if you if you need the help. And he's like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So instead of being on the ringer team, because we actually had even number teams up until like a day or two before the event, and then got down to an odd number of teams. So Steve was playing with one of the other Holy Hammers as the ringer, and then we had one team who um, there was a schedule mix-up, and dude couldn't make it to like – that fourth this mini round mm-hmm. and so I was playing with his partner so I came in with a list that I just wrote that I didn't put a lot of hard hitting stuff in I just put something that you know would give a would give a good game but wasn't necessarily going to stomp anything because it was a ringer and it's like okay wait now I got to play this because like this guy's actually trying to play mm-hmm. um, so that was kind of what I was doing very oddly freeing when there's absolutely no pressure to win, in fact, you're not kind of not really expected to win. Like you're supposed to play and give it a good shot, but not trounce the guy. Mm-hmm. Um, it was it was very fun. Like I said, um, let's talk about the tables really quick because I did talk with Herner a little on Sunday, and uh, th- like you said, they're gorgeous, and there's tons of t- there's a lot of terrain. It's nice. There's lots of you know line of sight blockers. All the things you ask for on a table Steve gives you um, but he also as you pointed out makes up special rules for everything yeah um, it's it's a lot to keep track of especially because like, you and I ended up playing yes we did game three and um, I didn't even uh, understand how those things worked until turn two and we did it like on each of our turns yeah the zinch table that thing good lord um, there's just, the, Once there's get- a lot of individual pieces and some of them do the same thing. You have to keep track of them, but they all, the general consensus of all these models is they, of all of these train features is they blow up your models. Yep. The table racks a higher kill count than your army most of the time. Up until about that last turn between us. Yeah, it, it was. Mm-hmm. It was, and, and I don't even have a problem with that. Like, I noticed that the, the, one of the objectives you had to get was, was grab a piece of terrain. And in the, in even, I only played the three games. And I was going to start the fourth and then that, that whatever. Um, but even on the fourth table I played, every piece of terrain you had to take, like, you had to go and, and hold the objective, but it did damage to your unit if you were yeah. within so much distance. And that was on like every one. So it was like, okay, you got to balance this. Um, I I might have liked to see a little variety in what the the hold the terrain things did. I mean, I realized by keeping it the same across all the tables, but, you know, because it was a it was one of the actual objectives. Um, it didn't give an unfair advantage depending on what table you were on. But um, on a couple of those, 
I was playing were just like, I looked at my partner and said, we're going to just hand them that because I'm not even going to try to take it or sit there and keep them away from it because it does too much damage and my units are too small. Like, yeah. it'll just kill them. So I did that. Yeah. Uh, Herner's Tales tend to favor model count armies. Like, I was supposed to play Stormcast, and then the scenarios came out, and it's like, nope, I'm not playing Stormcast. I switched to the Devoted, and as a result, did much better. I did okay and with my And enjoyed my experience more. I did okay with the Stormcast. I couldn't get those terrain objectives very well, but I did okay. Um, I did, like I said, I talked to Steve, and the one thing I did suggest was, you know what? You've got these beautiful tables. Have two or three pieces with special rules, and then make the rest like... On this round, they're all, you know, arcane, or they're all damned, or they're all... Just give the rest of the terrain one of the basic terrain rules, and go there, because that way there's not... I mean, we had two and a half hour rounds that got extended to three hours, because nobody was going to be able to finish their games because of all the extra bookkeeping. And don't get me wrong, it was fun. I enjoyed it. I don't mind bookkeeping. If this was a club night and not a tournament, you know what I'm saying? I would love to play on those tables and play these scenarios, you know, and right. bring a bigger army, you know, even that as a team, just here, okay, cool. We've got a cool scenarios. We've got some objectives. We've got all this stuff. Everything that was written up about it was fantastic for casual game night. It got problematic when you suddenly threw a time limit on it. Mm-hmm. And it was just a matter of, as you said, so much bookkeeping. Trim down the table a bit, and I think you keep those rounds at two and a half hours. Yeah. And uh, no. You don't think so? No, you can't do two and a half hours for a one-on-one game right now. Because you're not going to get it done in time, because that's just how people are. It's like, well, I don't know. I was depth- getting my oh. games done. Okay, but you have 20 models to move. I had more than 20, but yeah. Even with movement trays, it's still a lot of dice rolling. There's still a lot more to it, and I don't think people really understand that yet. Uh, you got to be prepped, though, because I played against Lou and Fenske. Well, yeah, and they had movement trays. And they had 150 models between the two of them, at least, I think. And yeah, they had the movement trays, and they slid that stuff up. And dude, we got through our game in plenty of time. Yeah, and I played Lou and Fenske, too. But it's still a lot of dice rolling, and it's still a lot to keep track of. So realistically, like even for Adapticon, we're doing three-hour rounds. Oh, boy. For the team tournament, just to make sure people get their games in in time. But on -on one-on-one games, I think you don't necessarily need that much time. We're doing 245, just to make sure. Right. I know you you bumped it an extra 15 minutes, which is cool. I'm actually probably going to be helping you out, so I know I don't even care. Like once again, freedom! I'll bring a ringer army if I need to. Yeah, but in any event, no, it was a great time. Um, I had a blast. I really did. And I finally got to see all of Herner's cool, cool tables. Like he brought some over to UGG to help out when we had a tournament, mm-hmm. and that was so nice of him. And then I realized he packed up the easier to pack up ones. And then when I saw the really complicated ones, I was like, oh goodness like azir is one of those <laughs> yeah. oh no it's, oh, boy. it's crazy but uh, like i said i had i had fun games the other thing that i wanted to mention we're going on way longer than we wanted to for not wanting to talk too long about this um it was literally five 
Well, I, okay, I didn't quite get the five points. It seemed like four points around to me. The fifth point was if you got the best opponent vote, but would you just get that every round if someone votes for you, or if it's if the if it's the people you played yeah. that round? So if that people I played that round gave me their best opponent vote at the end of the day. I got an extra point that round or something. Like I said, I, I was confused. And I didn't ask because it wasn't that big a deal. Mm-hmm. But there was five points, and one of them was if you got that best opponent vote. So I was just like, how does that work? But it was literally, there were four objectives to get. You had our warlord character, which is kind of fun. Him hulking out there at the end, as you know, you just played with him. Mm-hmm. Um, he had an objective. He would get a point. You had the grab terrain objective. You had to get, you know, hold a specific piece of terrain that was for a point, and then there were two other objectives, and that was your whole round. Like you could walk out of there with three three points out of four and have like almost no models left on the table, and it had it your you know uh, amount of points of whatever it is you killed like just didn't matter, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And the only time it matters is like if your warlord had to kill certain things or right. whatever, but it was still it was it's a different format because it's not just about putting the body count up there and taking your opponent's army off. It's all about achieving your objectives. And if you can't do that, you're going to have a bad day. Like in game 5, John and I played against Tom and Vince from Warhammer Weekly. Oh yeah. And stellar game. John and I had two models left on the table. But we still won 3-0. Because <laughs> you got your objectives done. Yeah, and that's hey, just... you know what? Sometimes you go somewhere and the objective isn't to isn't to come out unscathed. The objective is to get the objective done. Yeah, and I mean, it was... Kind of like the book we're going to read today. Yeah, if we ever get there. Um, but in any event, it was an absolute riot. Um John and I ended up taking third with Devoted to Sigmar and Darkling Coven. Nice. So I don't know how that worked out, but it did. So I'll take it. I think that's probably the only time I place higher than Rellion. But I don't know. You got to get in your victory when you can. Yeah. And we played each other. You probably you might be maybe could have taken second if you guys would have paid attention. Oh, whatever. <laughs> Dude, we got lucky to get that point off you. And I was nervous when it happened, but then, then, you know, yeah, Sigmar. it is what it is. That was just a lot. That was crazy. We were that both, was, yeah, it was a long, both really it was a long day. That was the only thing. It was a long day. Like Herner had this little fourth round in the like he had three rounds the first day and two the second day, but at the end of the first three rounds, he had this little mini round where you could play and, um. If you play that and you win, you get some information about the next day's games that'll help you help you out or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I know I was just like, I'm tired. Well, actually, the dude showed up who was supposed to be playing on this team, so he got to just go ahead and play that part. But I know there's a couple of teams who were just like, yeah, I've been playing for 12 hours today, like already, or 11 hours today. I'm 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 more hammered out. I'm old. So yeah, and. I mean, that is what happened, and realistically, the benefit you got from it was kind of negligible. I mean, maybe it was just in our game, because we played Nick and Lou the next morning. Right. So our exit point was right smack dab in the middle of their horde. Oh, no. So the bonus we got to, like, redeploy units 
didn't make all that much of a difference. Oh uh, well, yeah, because it was yeah they were in the way no matter how you went. Right. I see. Well, that was cool. Like I said, I had a good time, and that's what's important. Uh, you got any other? Um, not really. We're still cracking on Ripper Street, but that's really about it. We've been not watching a lot of TV lately. Nor um, I. Um, yeah, it's just too much to do in the day. I hear you. Uh, let's see. What did I do? Um, I went to see Thor Ragnarok. That's That movie's a lot of fun. It's just fun. Um, let's see. What else? Almost done with the Thrawn trilogy. Uh, picked up the Horus Heresy. Uh, from Black Library on Audible, the first books, The Unabridged. So I'm going to see how that how how I like that. Um, other than that, all I could think of was oh, I did get a demo game of Batman from Braska and Roder. Um, of course, this is after the full day of playing on Saturday, and then um, like I had like nobody to have dinner with, so. Uh, like I kind of came by myself, and by the time I actually got around to having dinner, I looked around and everybody had already gone to dinner. I was like, "Damn!" So I sat and just ate kind of junky food, which I really shouldn't have done, but I ate a bunch of it because I was hungry. And um, like I don't eat really well. I mean, you know, to begin with, but I've been eating better. You know, trying to lose some weight, and mm-hmm. so eating all that junky food at once, like, kind of put me into this weird sort of food com- coma. So by the time uh, I finished eating and got my stuff together, and then uh, the guys came back and uh, you know they set up a table for Fenske and Lou to play and a table for Broska and Rotor to play. And I'm sitting there and like the beginning, I'm ready. I'm watching Rotor's explaining how all the cards work, all the stuff for Batman. I'm like this is so cool. And then next thing I know, I'm sitting there looking at the game and I open my eyes and they're like at least another turn ahead. And I was like, I just fell asleep sitting here. I hope nobody noticed. And nobody said anything to me. So when the game ended, I'm like, guys, I'm so tired. I'm going to bed. They're like, yeah, go to bed. You look tired. And next morning, I'm like, thanks, guys, for the demo. I'm like, I was super tired. I'm like, I hope, I, you know, I didn't mean to be rude. I just, he's like, yeah, remember that part where you fell asleep right in the middle of the game? And I was like, oh, you saw that. Huh? They're like, oh, yeah. I'm like, nobody said anything. I was hoping you wouldn't have noticed. But, like, like those guys wouldn't have noticed, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah, I totally dozed off in the game. But Batman, yeah. I'm gonna, yeah. That's that. There's a project has come on the table to make a small table for that, so that I can play that because that game is not. It's like Infinity. If you took out all the stuff I don't like about Infinity, it's Infinity for dummies. That's <laughs> what it is. You could call it that, um, and that's fine because Infinity is woo, baby. It's not as. But, it's, you know what it is? It's just not nearly as crunchy as Infinity. You know what I'm saying? And you don't have to be constantly watching every last little thing that's happening. Right. And that, for me right there, makes it so awesome. But that's just me. So, all right, we've gone way too long on this. Why don't we uh, Why don't we take a break and uh, come back and we will dive into the play garden. Sounds good. Sounds good. It is not good for us to question the gods, my friend. Merely to do their will, whatever it might be. Much is demanded. Zephycleus laughed. Of course we should question the gods. How else will they know we're listening? He poked Gardas in the chest. Eh? Answer me that! Gardas chuckled. As much as I've missed arguing with you, I fear I have somewhere a good deal less cheerful to be. He looked past Zephycleus. Isn't that right, sister? Punctuality has always been one of your more pleasing virtues, Steel Soul, the newcomer said as she drew close. 
The Lord Celestine was as large as Gardas, and her silver warplate was marked with a profusion of blessed prayer scrolls. Her helmet hung from her belt, and her round, dark face was set in a look of stern disapproval as she studied Zephycleus. But your choice of such disreputable friends has ever been your greatest failing. Take care, lest they lead you into impropriety. My lady Cassandora, a pleasure as ever, Zephycleus said, making an attempt at a courtly bow. He peered up at her as he did so. How's that for respect? Adequate, she said, smiling lightly. Barely. Lord Celestin Cassandora Stormforged had been among the first of their storm hosts to wage war in the mortal realms. It was by her hand that the Queen of Swords had been cast down, and the ancient Rim Citadel of Yatalin claimed in Sigmar's name during the Crater War. And we are back! That's right. We are back. Who's back? We're back. Only the faithful. Oh, Lord. <laughs> oh. And with that word being bandied about with so many different meanings lately, I'm just excited to be one of the faithful and digging into Play Garden, Hallowed Nights by Josh Reynolds, Warhammer Age of Sigmar. Hey, speaking of which, um, and I know you mentioned it earlier, is there any particular reason they're... Like we get the super updated logo. Like, does that mean something? Like, are we I expecting? Know. I don't know. They made such a big deal out of it. There was a whole little, you know, video of look, new logo, and I was like, okay. And I just wondered if there was something happening that I should that I missed, but can't say. All right, so we get uh, play garden. This is a nice little hardcover baby here. Um, it's not a little book. It's the 318 pages. That's not too Yeah, but there is a lot in this book. There is a lot in this book. Um, I'm going to say, uh, you, you, you want to do uh, just uh, first impressions, like overall thoughts of the book before we get into the get into the, the minutiae? Yeah. Right, so what do you think? It's good. Yep. It's real. It's real damn good. And if you've not read it, you should go read it. You should pause this and go read it and then come back in an hour and listen to it. We'll wait. Yep. But. Actually, we're not going to wait. We're going to go on. No, hopefully, no. Hopefully they just hit the going. pause, though. Yeah. We just got to hope that's what that, they did. Okay. Okay. That would be good. But anyway, so the opening part of this book, I had a bit of a hard time kind of digging into. It took me a little bit. Okay. Not going to lie. Once it got going with the main story arc, like halfway through the book, is when it started to pick up for me. Okay, because there was a lot. There's a lot of fight scene. There is a lot of fight scene, and we are in gonna and half. we are gonna jump. And there's a lot in the back half too. We're gonna jump through some of the fight scenes. Like okay, yeah. and then they fought these guys, and this is kind of you know unless there's a really good little bit of banter or because I think where this book shines is in the uh sort of the little philosophical debates you get going on between the characters Um, yeah and that's where the book really tends to shine is the insight into stormcast psyche nurgle psyche and how they think of each other Mm -hmm. um that's where the book really gets good there's a lot of there's a lot of 
hammer porn in here, you know, just just things getting smashed and things getting beaten. Um, like I said, I think we should we'll just kind of gloss those because if you've seen Stormcast fight Nurgle once, you've seen Stormcast fight Nurgle. Yeah, For there's the a couple part. of interesting things, but the big thing that we're going to be talking about is like obviously the character interaction what the story means. Cause this book actually has a definitive meaning, I think, okay. which is different than some of the other books that we've seen where it's like historical recounting oh, of what happened. Right. Whereas this has a deeper meaning than that. Well, and I mean, a lot of them have a lot of symbolism and a lot of, you know, sort of, uh, themes that they roll through. There's definitely a theme in this, in this book. That it runs through. Now, say for me, um, beginning was very comfortable. I got into it. I was enjoying it. Um, I'm not going to lie. Somewhere around page 240, 250, like I hit this one part and I'm like, this isn't the end. Like, like, and then I got annoyed. Like, I was, the, there were a couple of lulls in the book where I was just like, and I don't mean lulls like, you know, LOLs. Um, there was a That's a part, lull, not lulls, a lull. Blah, whatever. L U L Z lulls. Um, now you're just being stupid. No, that's say hey, that's a thing though. I know because I Totes. teach the kids. I'm hip to the to the lingo. Um, sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, around two forty, two fifty, I was like, oh my god, I just want this book to end. Like, how many fights in a row are they going to get into? Like, I get it. You know, and I there's a part where we're going to get to later where I think it was almost I felt like the author almost got it. Like he was trying to get to the end, too, at, at, in parts. Mm-hmm. Um, the end was great, though. Like it, the payoff at the end was kind of worth the wait. But yeah. um, there was you a couple work of, for it. Yeah, there was a couple of parts in here, though, that I was just like, oh, for the love of Pete. And when we get there, I'm even going to point out because I have in my notes in my book here where I kept thinking of other things. And that happens when you're reading a lot of these books. If you if you read a lot of sci-fi or fantasy or play a lot of video games, other things will pop into your head mm-hmm. as you're reading it. And there's a couple times here I was like, oh, boy, here we go. Um, like I said, overall, I liked it. But I, I'm not going to – I'm not without without some criticism about – I get maybe it's some of the pacing. But seriously, about 60 pages before it ended, I was reading that scene, and it seemed like we were getting up to it. It, it seemed very climactic, and then the book didn't end. And I knew the book wasn't over, but I'm like, wait a minute, what? That they didn't? They're not even there? Like, yo, get out of here! Like, then it was just then I was like, well, I got to finish this. And then I got, I'm glad I did. But the, like I said, we'll, we'll get to it. Uh, so, you know, shall I start? I guess. Yeah, sure. All right, so it starts off, um, chapter one is Sea of Stars. Sea of Stars. Interesting opening. Classic action-adventure, antecedent action, you know, stuff that's going on before we get to the main story set up here. This is your Arnold Schwarzenegger working out. This is the guy who's lifting and pumping and prepping and, you know, getting ready. Um Easy to work new readers in. I know Stormcast mm-hmm. Eternals already. Um, though, like if you're a new reader, this is very. There's a lot of informative stuff to get you in things you don't know about. You know what's going on. Uh, as a guy who knows Stormcast and has read some of these, I need some more information. They they got a chance. You know they got a chance to grab me here. You need to give me something more than just 
he's stormcast and he's and he's prepping. Give me, t- you know, tell me something that's possibly important for the character or something that is really super stormcast that I didn't know. You know what I'm saying? Because I know stormcast at this point. Anyone who's buying these books and has been playing for a while knows all this stuff. So I got to get something. Either something I didn't know or set something up that's going to be pretty important. Because honestly, the beginning of this felt like a, felt like a Horus Heresy uh, beginning. It felt, like, mm-hmm. it felt like watching Space Marines outside of their armor doing those little prep in those, in those uh, you know, action cages that they work in. Mm-hmm. A little bit. Uh, not completely, but I just, it felt very familiar. You know? He's prepping. Soon he'll don the panoply of war. You know, as he moves. Now, what's interesting here is now this is Gardas, and if y'all if y'all have been following around um, in the in the Realmgate Wars, Gardas was the one who got stuck in Nurgle's realm and made it out again. Yeah, and then he was manipulated by Nurgle to lead Torglug, the despoiler or the woodsman, um, who is now Tornus, the redeemed. And the Glotkin to the Athelweird, which is Alariel's hiding place. Right. And he ends up getting Mercy killed by Loris Grimm, who is the Lord Castellan, um, with a bolt with a boltstorm crossbow to the back of the head instead of getting eaten by a great unclean one. Yes, because they were gonna they were gonna basically take him back to Nurgle's realm again. It seemed like. Yeah. And so, rather than send him back there after he just got out, yeah, they they shot him. Um. It's very interesting because uh, Grim is, they said, Grim is the shield, right? And and uh, yeah. and um, Gardas is the sword in this in this team. And when Gardas is gone, Grim was in charge, and he was like, you know, so happy he came back, and then he had to kill him. And so it starts off, and he's back. He's been reforged. He is back in in Sigmar's realm, up in Azerheim, practicing, getting ready, getting ready to get sent back to his team. Mm-hmm. Um, when he's not paying attention or when he really gets into his whatever it is he's doing for Sigmar when he's being one of the faithful he starts to glow yeah it's like some sort of eerie Sigmar's light is literally it. yeah it's a radiance he's like an angel almost like he literally he starts to glow with Sigmar's light mm-hmm and when he catches on to it, he can, like, kind of shut it down and, like, kind of close it off because it's got to be weird. Could, even through the armor, like, through the through the, through the the gaps and stuff in the armor, like, in the eye sockets and stuff. Like, if he's not paying attention, he starts to glow through yeah. it. Yeah. It's like a literal manifestation of his faith and his spirit. Yep. And as we get through it, it actually affects the people he's fighting against if they're chaos worshippers. Right. Right. Um, it's kind of interesting, though, as you read through some of this stuff. I, I think some of the, I know people, a lot of people complain that there's too much Stormcast stuff and the only good books we've gotten so far are the ones that don't have Stormcast in them. I would disagree that those are the only good books, although it is nice to see. I mean, it's always nice to see things from other people's perspectives. Right. So it's, it's, I, I have, there has not been a book put out really that didn't. Involved the Stormcast that I did not like. You know what I'm saying? Um, those little side ones when the Silver Tower came out. Um, the stuff about the Fire Slayers was some good stuff. Um, obviously, City of Secrets was fantastic. 
But there's a lot to be learned still, I think, in some of these. And I think some of my favorite parts come in when they start talking about being reforged. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, you know, they got these gifts. At times, Gardas felt as if he were a broken vessel, badly repaired, and all that he had, and all that he had been was leaking away. Perhaps that the origin of the light had just vanished. Perhaps that was his soul seeking escape. The thought unsettled him. Like, they don't know what's going on with them. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, some of the other stuff that's going on in Chapter 1 I want to just cover, because, like I said, a lot of this is prep. You know? Yeah, there's a lot of buildup. And, um, you know, he, he's sitting there, and he's... One of the cool things, first of all, he's in this chamber, like up at the top tower in Sigmar's place. So it's got the giant glass dome so he could see out into the space above, you know. And as he's working, he's practicing there. He's looking and also he almost sees like this giant hand reach out for him, you know, mm-hmm. uh, full of rot and stuff like that. And he keeps thinking of Bolothrax. And I'm like, see, you don't get to fight a great unclean one and not walk away without PTSD. Like he's yeah. he's a storm cast. And even he's like, that shook him. He still has weird little nightmares. Now, granted, he ran through Nurgle's realm with Bolothrax after him. But still, you don't go through this stuff and walk out unscathed. Even the heroes here, mm-hmm. they walk out and they've got issues after going through that type of trauma. Um, but then I like that he looks up and there's this little passage here and it's... Uh, Nestled in the tides of space and stuff, the still beating heart of a broken world. Malice. I like they call it malice. The world that was, the last breath of all that had come before, a fragment of forgotten grandeur, casting strange shadows over the vast forges, armories, and soul mills of Sigmaron. The broken world was once a reminder and a promise, was at, at once a reminder and a promise for all those who dwelled in Sigmaron. So it's like, I like that you can literally see that sort of uh, core of the old Warhammer world, you know, the old the the metals that were all mined, you know, to make the mithril armor, not mithril, what did they call it? Sigmarite. Sigmarite armor. Um, but it's hanging there for everybody to see. And it made me almost laugh. I'm like, wait a minute. Anyone who's in, in, in Sigmaron could look up and see the core of the old Warhammer world? I'm like, dude, anybody who tells you hey, they killed the old world, it's all gone. Um, no, actually, it's right there in the sky above it. They literally tie it in. And it may be a tenuous tie to that old game and that old world, but it's no more tenuous than when uh, Tolkien l- linked up uh, The Hobbit to the entire Lord of the Rings trilogy by the ring. Mm-hmm. It's one small thing, but it's there, and it's this constant thing. And it's like... Everything they do is pulling from what was from that old world. I really liked that. It just—I didn't realize it was sitting there, like that you could see it with the naked eye. Yeah, and it's almost a visible reminder of the failure of Sigmar in the old world to stop chaos from destroying it. Yes, and that I think you can look up at it, and it's really truly seeing the price of failure for where they're at right now. Yep. 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 Uh, what else in this chapter? Oh, he meets up with some of the other people, like, because they're going through, uh, you know, he meets up with Zephicles, Beast Blaine, uh, Beast Bane, uh, Lord Serliston to the Astral Templars, very boisterous, and they're sitting and chit-chatting. Um, I kind of like them out of their armor. You know, they're still not really human anymore, but they come from <laughs> humans. I mean, they're not as different from humans as, say, Space Marines, but especially after seeing a couple of the, uh, 
like from City of Secrets, seeing what Stormcast come across as to regular humans. They're not human. But these out of their armor, off the battlefield scenes, I think they help relate to them. Um, <laughs> in fact, there's this conversation. Um, Zephocles is talking to Gardas, and they had fought in the Hidden Vale when Gardas died. And uh, Zephocles looks at him and goes, do you remember any of it after, I mean? And he's just little fragments of moments, and you know he's he he remembered he remembered his bones cracking, and then he felt the pain as the as the bolt hits him in the in the head, and there, formless and broken, he had been forged anew by the hand of the god king himself and made fit for duty once more. Who he had been was the fire used to fuel his rebirth. Was he even the same being who had undergone these tribulations? Was he but the barest memory of that warrior recast in the same name? A memory of a memory, and then that's when his, his friend says his name. He like kind of pulls him back from that. Like they don't know what's going on. Uh, and then it finally gets to it, and he stops. He goes, "He had died in the Athelweird, and on the anvil of apotheosis, he'd been reforged. That was all there was to it, and no benefit to be had was to be had in dwelling on it." And um, this is the kind of stuff that goes through. This is the things that I really like. When we cover these books, when these guys, they don't even know what happens to them. They don't understand mm-hmm. it. They, and, they, and they're afraid of it, too. It's weird. They, they, there's, there's a fear of dying because they know that they're going to come back, but not the same. And it, that, I, think, I think that's important because it just adds that human element. I just remember when we first got this game and found out that they just keep being reforged and coming back. Mm-hmm. We're like, well, that's kind of lame. Like, <laughs> granted, it allows for your character, your named characters, to sort of get killed, but then they just come back. That seems like cheating. Like chaos does that, but that's because every chaos demon is just a part of the power of the one of the four. Why, why do you know? But no, they, they really they they work it into these stories where they make it nervous and uncertain and you know unhappy about it. So I like that. I like that a lot. Uh, I'm trying to think what else is in here in this chapter. Um, you meet some dark-faced female Lord Celestins. Um, Cassandra. Yeah. And she's kind of tough. She is. Yeah, she's Cassandra Stormforge. First among the Stormhosts to mage, wage war in the mortal realms. It was by her hand the Queen of Swords had been cast down, and the ancient Rim Citadel of Yatalan claimed in Sigmar's name during the Crater War. Um, yeah, and then we get to Tornus, and he didn't quite understand because they. So, I guess sometimes you die and you don't come back, like under certain circumstances. We've seen it happen when Archeon's Mount Eight. A stormcast. He didn't turn to lightning and go back. Like his soul was sort of forfeit, and they they took it. And this happens. Yeah, it's a well. soul devourer type thing. Yeah. Um. So they have actual like basically sort of somewhat funerals for those stormcast. Um. It, it, with with the hallowed knights and Tornus is going to one of them. He's sort of seeing what's going on. Um. This is interesting because you get to see who did not come back after that that war in in Gyran. 
Um, you know, Tornus is there. Basically, if if you don't know the story of Tornus, he was uh, what was he wasn't a tr- tree man. He wasn't a tree kid. What was he originally? He was a. I'm not sure if the technical term is like Viridian or what the actual term is. He was a human living in the realm of Gyran. Okay. And when Nurgle started to take over, he was or he originally fought against them, and the Robbringers cast him into a pit where he stayed in there for 77 days, fighting against the corruption of Nurgle. But on the 77th day, he gave up, took over, and became Torglug. And he was brutal. Yeah, he was the guy that was the main um, antagonist throughout. Uh, the initial part of Illyrial's Awakening, like the Guardians of the Everqueen series or uh, book that uh, Seal Warner did, there was a f- he was a pretty nasty character up until he died at the hands of the Celestin Prime, and then was reforged as Tornus because there was some part of him that was redeemable. The core of him was still good. Like, yes, he had given in and become this evil thing, but we all slip and fall sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but the problem is he slipped and fell and he killed a lot of Stormcast. Like, yes, there he are did. People, he yeah, there are people in here because of, of him. Um, there's a lot of death and a lot of setbacks to Sigmar's plan because of him. Um, the other Stormcast don't 100% trust him. Um, there's, no. There's one part in here where he said that there was... Uh, he'd been doing this now for, for months at least and not one of them had actually called him brother. Which, Except for Gardas. Well, and Gardas, but Gardas here, this is when Gardas first meets him. Gardas just accepts him and calls him that. Mm-hmm. But before that, like, you know, he had gotten none of it. Um, so, like, he is, and he's super repentant, and he feels awful, you know, obviously, and he should. Um, but basically, nobody really kind of trusts him. He was yeah. this other thing, and, you know, um, yeah, I mean, he was one of the main enemies of the Hallowed Knights. The Hallowed Knights were the ones running through Kyran, and he was one of the guys just killing them left and right. And now Sigmar made him not only a, a Stormcast, but made him one of them. Yes. Um, which, and the thing is, he... good drama. Yeah, and he remembers what he did. Oh, yeah. As Torglug. He's still haunted by that. So my question is, like, when he dies... Like, when Stormcasts die and they get reforged, they lose a part of their memories. They lose a part of who they are. If Tor- Tornus dies, does he forget his crimes, or would they get amplified for no what he idea. did? No so idea. Just, Although, as we get to the end of this book, I th- I have some ideas. But right now, I'm just like, we don't need... Even he doesn't know, because there's a part where we talked about if he's reforged, maybe he wouldn't have to remember who he was as well. Mm-hmm. Which seems almost like you know sweet to him. Yeah. So uh, let's see what else is. Um... Yeah, I love. <laughs> I love uh, even in the Stormcast, there are stories and legends. Like when uh, when 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 Tornus finally sees Gardas, he was like, "Oh, it was said by some that." 
Gardas had hurled himself into the Garden of Nurgle and escaped unsullied. Tornus could almost believe it, for his broad form shone with a faint, eerie radiance that reminded him of the purifying energies of the Celestine Prime. The tribulations the steel stole had endured had changed him in undeniable ways. And they talk about, even these guys don't know what happened to some of these, some of them. You know, like, they're all looking, they're all just kind of, like, talking about what, what's, uh, what happens here. So, once again, it's interesting. I just like, in this whole setup, you know, it took a while because they're introducing all the characters you're going to bring in, characters you knew. But what they're really setting up in here are guys who have sort of been reforged and are coming back and the different things that they're going to have to do. Um, yeah. And then that brings us into Chapter 2. Yeah. And before we move on, I do want to address who they're doing this funeral service for. Oh, right. Because it's for Tarsus Bullhart and... If that name is familiar to you, it's because they were part – he was one of the war leaders that went into Shyish to try to treat with Nagash. And he ends up getting betrayed by Manfred von Karstein. Oh, that's right. And there's the confrontation with Nagash, and Nagash is trying to take all of the souls of the Stormcast that are fighting against him. And Tarsus does the hammer cloak enchantment as Nagash is trying to eat these souls of his brothers and all of them rise up, but he stays behind and his soul is captured by Nagash. So that's why they're doing the service for him because he's not coming back. That's right. So, and there's a concept here that we're going to come back to is sacrifice because Tarsus gives himself up essentially to save the rest of his brothers and it's going to be a repeating thing that we're going to talk about a lot of sacrifice. Yep. Yeah, this is this is an interesting, crazy sort of journey that happens in this book. So you want to grab? You want to jump into chapter two? Sure. So that's the Bay of Flies, and yep. we walk into um, Grim, who is carrying out an offensive against the Order of the Fly, which is obviously a Robbringer force. Um, and it's kind of a corrupted military order who are using what are called Sargasso Citadels as strongholds. And they have a nice little fight scene where he's fighting against beastmen and they're all infected and everything like that. But it's the big thing that I pulled out of this is when they start talking about Gatrog. And they start talking about the Ropbringers and who these guys really are. Um, and the Order of the Fly are guys that Torglug and even the Glockin couldn't work with because they have a present sense of honor and duty, which makes them extremely difficult to work with. And reading this, it reminded me a lot of corrupted Bretonians in a way. Yep. I was thinking the same I, thing. These, this, is, this is a knightly order's that have this sort of very, it's all about their honor and their martial prowess and all these things. Um, and they carried that into their Nurgle beings. Yeah, they carried that into their downfall. And they refer to themselves as knights. They have squires. They have titles like duke, um, those sorts of things. But realistically, they also talk about um, a couple extra characters, Kurtana or Karunta, he is a knight, 
Heraldor that is working with Grimm and then Lord Relictor Morbus and Knight Venator Enyo. And Enyo is a female Knight Venator. GW, get on that. Just throwing it out there because she's she's everything I had imagined in a Knight Venator. She yeah. is still the kill from afar type, but it's also you you see a lot more of her personality mm-hmm. in how she fights and how she kills. Um, I like the little bit of Tegris reforged that Grim was looking at. Mm-hmm. How because he came back, he'd been reforged too, and they're getting things together. And uh, Tegris is always very witty and outgoing. And uh, now he, he says he was not much changed from the bold warrior Grim knew, a trifle slower in employing what he considered wit and quicker to follow orders. It could almost be considered an improvement, even so it was a change. And Grim did not care for change. No. And I like that because even though he's like a better soldier now and he's not, uh, he's, he hasn't gotten any worse, it's like he's still different. And that's unsettling because mm. it could happen to you. And that's yeah. the part that really gets them all is every time they see their friends come back, even though they're a little different, it's like, well, what's going to happen? How am I going to be different? Am I going to yeah. be me? Mm-hmm. Um, and then they start talking, or there's a mention of the Twelve Thorn Gate, which was a battle against the Rotbringers where Alariel and the Sylvaneth fought side by side with both Hallowed Knights and what they refer to as Dwarden Root Kings. Yeah, what Which, is that? Did I miss something there? Yeah. Um, so it's a weird kind of reference where they start talking about dwarves or dwarden that live in the realm of life. And there's a couple mentions to them, like Tornus remembers fighting them as Torglug. So you have this race of dwarves, and this is on page 22. Um, or the bottom of 22 going into 23. So it says here, he closed his eye. This is, uh, grim thinking, right? He closed his eyes, wishing that he once stood that he stood once more amid the bulwarks of iron oak and thornwood. He could still recall the warm scent of the sunfire blossoms as they stirred in Alariel's wake that final day at the 12 thorn gate. He could feel the deep basso war chant of the Dwarden Root Kings resonating through him as they marched to war. So, did we have an entire race of Dwarden living in the realm of life that nobody knew about until right now? See, I didn't know what was going on there. I was like, what? I mean, when I heard roots, I'm like, the roots of the mountain, maybe? What's what? What's happening? Like, I don't understand. But what I'm curious because it's Dwarden. Ref- yeah, what I think they're talking about is that there's a group of Dwarden that live in the roots of the trees in the realm of life. Because they talk about their shields being like thornwood and iron oak. So as long as they're definitely not saying they live inside the little roots because they're tiny like gnomes, because I get enough jokes about short dwarves. I don't need that. To but. be fair, that's probably accurate. Uh. <laughs> that's not cool. Just throwing it out there. But I have a hard time imagining a Lariel would um, really be okay with Dwarden living in the realm of Gyran because they tend to do things like industry and 
make things out of wood. Well, we'll see. So, I'd like to, well, who know. knows? Maybe, maybe these are just little hints at, at some other stuff that's going to be coming out. Sure. Another um, line of Dwarden models. Yeah, Sylvaneth Dwarden, because that's just what we need. <laughs> All right. So, and before um, the elves come out, just so that people can really cry. Don't do that to people. That's not nice. <laughs> All right. Um, so, more than dealing with Graham as they continue on their offensive against the Order of the Fly, you get introduced to two very important blight, right, rot bringers, not blight bringers, rot bringers, Gatrog, who is the Duke of Festerfane. He, this is one of the Sargasso Citadels. Um, he has a nice conversation here with his shield bearer, Agak, and then yeah. Lightmaster Bubonicus, which is pretty typical Rotbringer name. Um, and they start talking about honor and duty and how they're supposed to be worshiping the king of all flies, which is Nurgle, in all that they do. Um, and that naturally gets interrupted by a Stormcast offensive from prosecutors flying up and over. And it's they, the big thing that drove me, that got me here is that these Robbringers are really upset and really bothered by the chanting that the Hollow Knights do, which is the only the faithful cry. So this is visibly angering them that all they hear all the time is only the faithful. It drives them insane. Right. Because faith and hope are things that Nurgle does not jive with. Because Nurgle is all about despair and misery. And accepting your despair and enjoying the despair. There's, this is a weird theme that runs through this. These two are possibly the most diametrically opposed, like philo- philosophically, they are just the exact polar opposites of each other. Mm-hmm. Um, which makes for some interesting conversations. Because um, as you're pointing out here, even in here, um, He's looking at the Stormcast, and he just sees them, and he's like, I don't know what made these guys, but it's not good. No. You know? Uh, they are unnatural. Yeah, they're un- Yeah, he thinks the Stormcast are unnatural, scraped of all, f- scraped free of all traces of life, uh, things of harsh purity, like the Storm Warriors themselves, lacking even honest bile in their veins. Like, it's like... Especially it's weird, and maybe it's just this particular group because they have this sense of honor that as he starts looking at them, you got two, you get a guy who, you know, started off possibly as a good guy, you know, and became this Nurgle thing, but he is devout. These guys are just as devout towards Nurgle and their honor and following their Nurgle path as the Stormcast are. They're just weird, you know, um there's these insights into the minds of these Nurgle guys you get. Uh, He says uh, Nurgle allows them the gift of clarity. They see the world as it is, stripped bare of tattered masks of yearning and expectation, leaving only a beautiful desolation. There's comfort and surrender and joy and acceptance. There's love there as well, a great serenity at the end of all things. And it was that bleak serenity that the Order of the Fly served. It was the serenity which they sought to impart to all equally, be they lowborn or high, for we're not all lives of equal worth in the eyes of Nurgle. And I'm reading this going, this 
is exactly the same thing that the Stormcast are trying to do, except they're trying to instill hope. And mm-hmm. these guys are trying to instill despair. But they, they think of it as something you need to let go and embrace. And once you embrace it, you get it, – it's it's liberating. It is. It's it's a weird philosophy. and It's looking in a mirror and yeah. seeing something else. It's exactly what they are. I mean, they literally say hope is the weed in Nurgle's garden. And you're sitting here and you got the the – the the hallowed knights who literally one of the lines and we use it at the end of the show they don't know any despair except in failure mm-hmm. like they're the exact opposites uh you know um so to watch them working together and then you see like we're not as different as you might think it's just a different perspective uh-huh which and makes for some interesting conversations, and that's where I think the best parts of these books come out. Especially when we get into the main story arc. Yep. Because we're still kind of in the setup right now. Um, and then I do – I don't want to address, like, every fight scene, but they do have this introduction of a balefire arrow, which is something – you don't think of chaos as using arrows and ranged weapons. You think of them as fighting all the time, and it's always melee. But they introduce these balefire arrows, which when they shoot at this bridge that the Stormcast are trying to cross over, they manifest like these large maggot type monsters. But also the fires that spread turn Stormcast into spawn. And Morbus, who is leading the fight here, he has to kill one of his own men that gets turned into a spawn to save him from corruption. Right, so they can set his soul free before it's un un uh, unretrievable. Yeah, and even the liberator that turned into a spawn is saying, "Kill me," because he knows how bad this is and what's going to happen if this doesn't end soon. Yeah, some of the corrupting effects of the things you see here are kind of horrific. Mm-hmm. But again, it's trying to save soul. Yep. Which is what Morbus has to do. And the other important thing that you find out here, uh, I believe, is that there is another realm gate that they didn't yeah, know that's, about. It didn't that's get a little that in this further chapter, in. Because he talks about they have to protect something. I thought that was in this chapter. But if maybe I'm jumping the gun here. Uh, yeah, because we must delay it with the gate of weeds open. Yeah, they talk about the gate of weeds. These bastions will serve as Nurgle's new antechamber in Gyran. So, yeah, it's right at the end of Chapter 2. There it is. They're talking about how there's another realm gate that, that the Stormcast apparently missed. And it's not open right now to Nurgle's realm. Things have been cleaned up in here so that it's a it's a realm gate. that's not. But they're basically working around the clock to re-corrupt it. So that Nurgle can get a new foothold in Gyran, um, mm-hmm. and so that's that's what's happening in this giant in their la- in this last citadel. It looks like you're getting to the end of the campaign, but as you get there, you're like, uh oh. So we get to chapter three, Word of the God King. Let's go through this one kind of quick. Um, you know, they're still walking around. They're still. Doing the stuff, they're back. You know, they're still uh, waiting for uh, to be sent to the battle, aren't they? At this point, mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And um, a lot of discussion, a lot of talking about what their purpose is, what they're supposed to be, what they're supposed to be doing. Um, this is where he gets introduced to Tornus, the redeemed. Uh, Gardas gets to meet him. Um, and Gardas is looking at him. He's like, have we met oh, in battle but on opposite sides? And he didn't realize him. And then, then finally he realizes who it is. And Tornus is really, he, he's the character. It's like, man, he was one of the best of the best on our side. And he was torn down and became this monster. And now that he's been redeemed again, it's, he's just, he's got to prove it all the time, every day. And he kind of hates himself for having broken. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, Sigmar shows up. And uh, basically says, hey, uh, Gardas, um, Tornus is going to be on your team for a while. And he's like, okay, I can do that. Um, Sigmar's apparently annoyed that people have not accepted uh, Tornus back. Um, basically, he's like, hey, I said he's cool. Like, that should be enough. And it kind of should, shouldn't it? Um, and in fact, you get this part here because uh, Tornus leaves and, and uh, Sigmar wants to talk to Gardas. And he's like, do you know why I wish for Tornus to accompany you? And he's like, I do not. Do you object? I do not. Well, that's the reason. You know, <laughs> he's like, that's mm-hmm. that's why I asked you, because I knew you would just you would do it. Even now there's some who doubt him, who see an echo of his former self with him. They see a shadow where there is none, and I grow weary of it. So weary I must remind myself I'm not a tyrant. I can't force them to see sense. I can only show them the way and hope they follow the path I've set them on. I'm like, oh, it's a whole... There's more here. There's a whole conversation with Sigmar that goes on here. You don't get that too often. It's It's kind of a treat. You know? Um, Gardas says, I've always endeavored to do so, Lord. You know, like uh, when they said, you know, I, I can't make you do this. I just only show you the path and hope you follow. And he's like, I've always tried to. And Sigmar looks at him and goes, if you hadn't, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Like, I know. I know you do. Um, and then um, he's still talking. Um, then he goes, and Sigmar leaves, and he's talking with Tornus a little bit. And uh, it's just it's it's all good conversation going back and forth here. The, but like you said, this whole question of being redeemed, being worthy, being the faithful, um, not only trusting in yourself, trusting your team, trusting Sigmar. I mean, this whole thing with Tornus and it never gets out of hand. But you could tell there are guys in the team that don't really trust him. Mm hmm. You know, um, and that's that's the biggest part here. Like he even talks to Tornus, and um, Sigmar looks at him, and he's like, uh, "Stormcast Eternals are my hammer, and a hammer can be used to build as well as destroy." And I think <laughs> I think you would understand that. Um, so- yeah, and that's a. That is even like a reference to even the old world, because that's why the hammer was such an important symbol to Sigmar in like 
the Time of Legends series from Warhammer Fantasy, that's an actual line that Sigmar uses. Is that yep. the hammer is a weapon, it's also used to build. So he's not changed. He is changed, but he's not he's still the same thought process as yep. he was. And what really comes down to is this is where Sigmar says to him, he goes, Look, a lot of a lot of my Stormcast, you know, they go through, they're reforged, they see things that are happening. Um, you know, some of them are hurting. They have doubt, they have anger, they have uncertainty, all these things that they, this baggage they brought with them. Um, and he's like, I just need you to guide them and be an example. Build this foundation for what's to come, you know. And it's interesting that he looks to the Hallowed Knights. He's like, listen, you guys trust me, like implicitly trust me. He's like, I need you to foster that and grow with that, um, you know, so that we can so that we can keep this plan moving forward. Uh, and then you get uh, you get this last bit. This last last part of the chapter is a speech from Gardas, um, because uh, Tornus meets up with Angston, who does not seem at all happy for him to be here. No, uh, and part partly because I believe Torglug killed Angston. You sent many of my brothers back to the Anvil of Apotheosis and stuff like that. And uh, Tornus, like, uh, I'm, I'm not, I'm not the person who killed you. Not, I'm not that guy anymore. And he's like, Are you sure of it? Yeah, I don't remember if Torglug killed Angston or Angston killed himself. Um. Because I think there was a situation where they're fighting on the glaciers, running from Torglug and them, and Angston calls down a comet and destroys an ice bridge he's, uh, he's either standing on or... Oh, that's right. Yeah, I think that's how he died, but I don't remember. I haven't read Guardians in a while. Right. Um, and then you get a nice little speech here at the end, again, following this theme, Um uh, Angston basically tells him he's like I'm not that guy anymore. I've, I've been I've been redeemed. I'm I'm one of the faithful. And he goes, if you were truly faithful, you wouldn't have fallen in the first place, which is a totally unfair <laughs> shot in the ribs. But... Yeah, but it, it's understandable. But it's it's unfair. You know, nobody's perfect. People fall down at times. You have to get back up and try again. And that's when Gardas gives his whole speech and he says, look, you know, this happens. And then he says. Um, would we stand here now, our veins filled with lightning, if faith alone were enough? No, we're the faithful, and we know the limits of faith. But as with steel, strength comes from the testing of those limits. Steel may break, but it has the potential to be forged anew, if it's but given a chance. And that's when he grabs Tornus by the shoulder and gives him a shake and says, See, here stands a blade reforged, proof that a spark of light exists even in the darkest souls. And that's when he tells Angston, he's like, Dude, this guy is he's the he may be the first that we've brought back from you know the clutches of the enemy he's probably not going to be the last so you need to get used to it there's got to be other guys in there who've been grabbed who've been corrupted um but have that spark of of goodness in the center and and don't want to be what they are but don't have any other choices and those guys you'll you, you know we may see them coming back too and so that's, I liked that a lot. I liked that image. Um, it's also 
I was wondering if that was a bit of a foreshadowing of a setup because they're diving back into Nurgle's garden with all these honorable knights. Who knows what will happen? Mm-hmm. But that's where we're at. Let's take a quick break, and then we'll come back. And I think now that we've got the basics laid out, I think it's going to pick up a bit. But let's take a break, and when we come back, we'll jump into the Bridge of Maggots. in the garage hammer shirt who cares about him look at that guy with the garage hammer hoodie that's right guys nothing tells the ladies i'm one of the gaming elite like garage wear so hurry to garagehammer.net slash store and soon you'll be the guy at game night that all the gamer chicks are talking about remember boys first you get your gear then you win all your games then you get the chicks That's right, boys. The only gamers we notice are in Garage Gear. And we are back, crossing over the Bridge of Maggots. Yes, yes. So we're here. We're at this uh, battle. So what's uh, what's happening here? So um, we're looking, and it's starting primarily from Enyo's point of view, flying around, watching the destruction of this citadel as the uh, hammer as a uh, hollow knight um, move on and moving through. And the thing that caught me right away um, is. There were hundreds of slaves crammed cheek to jowl in the pens. Olive skin and dark eyed, they reminded her somewhat of her own lost folk. They reached out through the rusty bars towards her, screaming and crying, desperate to escape the heat of the rising flames and the agitated brutality of the overseers who lashed them with barbed whips trying to silence them. Now, what these folks are is like the residents of Gyron that have been captured but haven't fallen yet. Right. Or are just being tortured for their own purposes by the Rotbringers. And the Hallowed Knights, once again, we're going to talk about it, it's hope that they're going to be set free, that they're going to turn things around. And to see these winged warriors flying around, taking out the people who have been hurting you for whoever knows how long, it's the reinstill of hope. So right. I thought that that was an important thing to mention because hope is obviously something we're going to be talking a lot about. Right, and these and, and these people here—they're not just a plot device. They keep they keep some of them keep popping up. So mm-hmm. they're they're there. This symbol of something that they're trying to 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 to, to get free these people from their dis- literally freeing these people from despair and giving them hope. But uh, they're not just things to open up and free and get them out of the picture so that we can go on fighting because a, mm-hmm. a lot of them tend to stick around. Um, I thought it was interesting some of these weird bridges and stuff that were built. Uh, yeah. The, when she landed on one of these ramparts, all like they have this stone 
these stone fortresses built, all the wood they used was live Sylvaneth wood. Um, it literally, as she landed on the platform, it squealed beneath her weight. Revulsion welled up in her as she realized it had been crafted from still-living Sylvaneth. Bonded together by pox-hardened sap and iron bolts, the treekin had been forced to grow into one another and form the internal structure of the citadel. Every walkway, every platform, all of one eternally suffering piece. That's just mean. Mm-hmm. That was just mean, and there's some other great moments in this scene. But oh, I, I was like, that just fueled their hate fire. Like, you want to upset the Stormcast who who landed here, who've been defending this place this long? Show them that you're basically, you know, uh, torturing the inhabitants into becoming furniture. It's just crazy. Um, you even get a scene. You get a great scene where uh, she goes up and she sees one of the one of the big. One of the big bads from Nurgle, and he comes out and he's like, come on, uh, you know, you think you're so awesome with your bow. You know, he pulls out his axe. He's like, you know, fight honorably. And she just, he's ready for her and she's looking at him. He's twice her size. And she just puts an arrow through his eyeball and drops him. And she's like, there's no honor in battle, only in victory. And victory belongs to the faithful. And I'm like, Indiana Jones moment. Indiana Jones yeah, moment. I was just about to mention that. <laughs> that was it's all great. the talk, all the bluster. And then... Star-fitted arrow in the eye. Yep. Good night, nurse. Just not good. Not good for them. Now, um, did, now there was something else here. Eight, eight. Is it Aetius? 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 Aetius. Aetius. Um, Aetius, they're talking about different things that, you know, were going on. Aetius had recalled nothing of his mortal life. Where the fragments of memory should have been was only emptiness, an absence secreted behind the wall, a wall of faith. For him, there was nothing in the world except for duty. Is that normal? Are there a lot of Stormcasts who remember nothing of their past lives? I thought that was part of it. There's some of them that do and some of them that don't. There are. It just depends on who they were, realistically. Because I think there was a couple of different characters in other books where it's they have no memory of what it was before and that's what drove them but it just depended on each individual stormcast ah okay so um uh basically you know there's a lot of fighting in this chapter and basically what does it come down to is they they break into the citadel right yeah there's a lot of fighting a lot of just pushing forward um and, and it, it's it's fun. It's exciting. It's just not fun to relate to you guys over the air. Yeah. You know, they've got a plan. They're trying to get in. There's a d- couple of different entrance ways. There's certain, you know, and and uh, the bad guys do try to close off some of them, but they're just, if we all focus right here, no matter what they try to do, we can pound our way through this, this entrance. And they do. Mm-hmm. Um. And that leads us to Chapter 5, the Sargasso Citadel. Um, and it's, you know, still fighting and still back talk. You know, you've come pretty far just to become mulch in grandfather's garden. You know, it's like, okay, and then I'll shoot you in the eyeball. Um, and uh, again, you get another thing. You get some of these guys in. Um they 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 bring back some of these 
character, and you get Pharos shows up, who's doing all of his fighting. Um, and it says Pharos had been reforged, crafted anew after his death in the guy, uh, the gear tracked Fen. Uh, the warrior who came back was as fierce as ever, yet more biddable, less prone to the battle lust that had once afflicted him. Grim wasn't entirely certain he liked the implications, for if Pharos could become more obedient and if Turgus could lose his wit, then so could Gardas change. Um, I keep bringing up these little sections because especially it's... I, I like that there's this fear. They fear dying, even though they know they'll be reforged. And that's a good thing. You know what I'm saying? It's it's a healthy fear of this. They don't want to, you know, it, there's a there's an urgency, there's an immediacy to their battles. It's not just like throw ourselves into it and if we get killed, we'll be right back. Mm-hmm. Um, and the more they hammer that home, the more I sort of enjoy it because I think it's an important piece of the puzzle here. Um, is that they, they you know they they do fear all of that stuff um honestly the whole rest of this chapter is them fighting uh morbus senses that there's a realm gate here basically yeah. as they get in close and they start seeing all the weird stuff that's going on and the giant cauldrons there and they're like oh that must be the ritual and they smash the cauldron and they don't realize that that's part of the ritual but that's not the ritual that the realm gate's underneath. Um, so they smash the giant cauldron and think they've stopped everything because they realize that there's something super bad about to happen here and they can't let Nurgle get another foothold, but they're distracted by the not realm gate. Um, and so we know they've smashed the cauldron, but we don't know if they've stopped the realm gate from happening or not. Yeah, and just the description of it, of their sense of the realm gate is there's something stirring now below us in the roots of this place. And this is more of us talking. Right. He looked at Grimm, something sick. It feels like a, a wound going septic as if the waters, the very air are crying out in sudden pain. So these guys have got some sort of sick sense about realm gates and feeling the pain, the tear in the reality. And it's Morbus that finds it first which I is makes sense because Morbus is more in touch with the spirit realms, but also Grimm is the guy that's in charge of defending these gates. So how can he not feel it as much? Like he feels it, but he can't place it. You know what I mean? Right. Um. Yeah, and they're not. Yeah, because they're not certain because they've been they've been putting all these spells and magic and trying to corrupt it for so long. It's just a little off. In mm-hmm. fact, they, they, the, the reason I think Morbus almost picks up on it is because something's a little off. So it's it's that that's sort of going on. And then we're getting up here already into Chapter 6, the thunder of Azir. And hey, who rides the lightning? Only the faithful. That or Metallica, one of the two. So That is true. Yeah. So um, still fighting, still smashing. You want to jump in here? Um, where is it? It's because I'm just flipping pages, and like I said, and I know people get mad, but I take notes right in my book because oh, I'm not, I couldn't do that. Oh, here's the thing: a, I'm not saving these for eternity, and b, one of the one of the pledge levels for the Patreon is when we after we cover these books. Uh, if you're at a certain pledge level, you get entered into the raffle to get the book. Yeah. 
So you get the book with my notes in it. I'm not keeping it anyway. The whole point is it's 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 you know I I'm giving it. A, if I was keeping it, I wouldn't do it. But after teaching for you know 15 years. You know, I just take notes right in my books. I just—it's what mm-hmm. I do. Um, if I don't plan on getting rid of the book, I probably won't take notes necessarily in it. But at this point, it's just easier for me. Um, and I've got pages. I'm you know, flipping pages here. Fighting, fighting. No notes. Fighting, fighting, fighting. No notes. Fighting. No notes. Yeah. Um. um all right. So we've got Morbus, who goes back to meet with Gardas as. They're trying to secure the Citadel. Are you on page 84? And Is this what we're talking about? Page 83, 84, yeah. Yep, okay, go ahead. I thought that you were going to talk about this. Yeah, so we have them coming back, and Morbus makes an observation, um, and we'll just start <laughs> with it. You're glowing. <laughs> you are glowing. Gardas stood and tried to tamp down on the light to force it back down inside of him. A gift from the Anvil of Apotheosis. And what was the price? As I said, a gift. Gardas met the Lord Relictor's gaze and didn't look away. There was no judgment there. Morbus, as ever, kept his true thoughts to himself. Besides, if I were changed, would I know? Yeah, I had that mark too. It's an, uh, Once again, they don't. there's this fear of the reforging in them. And it's great, you know, because it's like I only know who I am, you know. I wouldn't, I wouldn't notice a a subtle change. I wouldn't notice a small change. I mean, glowing is not a small change, but what, you know, if there's a subtle difference that is that's been taken away from me, how would I know it? Yeah, and Morbus, I do like as a character because he has a very dry. Gallows sense of humor. All the Lord Relictors do. It's like they were all necromancers in their past life, or something like that. Like they something had, to that extent. Yeah, they had some affinity with this realm of the dead that they understood, which is how they get the job as Lord Relictors. Um, they're all good because uh, Jonas, uh, he was cool too. Yeah, Cryptborn. Yeah, Cryptborn was good, but yeah. So Morbus is really pretty. Pretty cool. He's a little snark. So yeah. he tells Gardas that there may be a realm gate beneath the citadel. And Gardas looks at him and it's like, is that possible? Morbus looked at him. We stand in a fortress made from hardened seaweed and the bones of long drawn leviathans. And you ask that. Yep. Just got it. Really? That's, really? That's, what you, that's your question. Is that possible? <laughs> Did you look around you? Mm-hmm. We are lightning warriors. <laughs> You're asking me what's possible. Um, and then there's a lot of flying around between Kadok, Enyo, and Tornus. And I got a Kadok couple of things is, marked with this too. Yeah, and Kadok, for instance, we haven't introduced him yet. He's a knight of zeros, and he is a cocky, cocky person. Um, very much unlike the Marshall Pride, and I really found him to be insufferable. Um, in parts, I mean, he can be insufferable. In, uh, but, but even no. Enyo, no, he's, he's, he, hey, you know what? I would not mind having him at my back. No, he's, no, I wouldn't either, but I would just want to wear earplugs. Yeah, Enyo even does kind of say like, oh, God, you're such a pain in the butt. 
Um, but I like and this guy. He's a barbarian stormcast. He loves the battle. He's kind of orcish. Yeah. You know, um, and he is a zealot. It literally says it in the book. He is all about doing Sigmar's will and getting the job done. Uh, he's no, he's he's kind of cool. It's nice to have a weird barb. Like, dude, he was a barbarian king, and they made him a stormcast, and he still has his personality in there. So he's still that crazed, outgoing, you know, war loving dude fighting on our side. It's it's nice to see those guys every once in a while. I mean, yeah, he, he seems out of place a bit. A bit. Because it seems like the Hollow Knights are more reflective, more staunchly in the faith. They're the faithful, versus though, and a, this guy's a zealot, and that's how yeah. he fits in. Now, I guess I a, see him more as like an. Um, he's a he's a he's a foil for Tornus. He's Tornus's exact opposite in the air. Yeah, that's I what guess. He is. I just saw him more as like an astral templar or something like that. Possibly, but it, I think it's that it's that zealotry where everything he does, like he's like, dude, I've got this, I got this for Sigmar. Sigmar's got my back. I've got Sigmar's, Sigmar, 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 and by the way, Sigmar, like that's that'll that'll get you in the Hallowed Knights, I think, possibly. Mm-hmm. Um, Tornus seems to get things more than other people do too. I think. I think having been on both sides of this. Uh, and I'm pointing out in the middle of page 89. I don't know if you marked this or not. Yeah. Um, yeah. The Stormcast were too few to do more than pierce the dark. For the light to feel, flourish, they needed to rally the mortal inhabitants of the realms. From the lowliest grot to the greatest gargant and everyone in between, every arm that could wield a sword would be needed before the Varen Spire was toppled and Archeon ever chosen. The Grand Marshal of Chaos was cast from his throne. Um, and then, you know, he gets it like he gets things that other people don't seem to want to admit. And I think part of that is because he's he's been on that other side. Like I said, um, he was terrified of Archeon as Torglug. He even talks about that. Like he just nope, doesn't want to doesn't want to deal with it, doesn't want to mess with it. Um, And it's interesting because even you get Enyo who comes in and she's talking to him and Enyo is really nice to him, the, you know, nice to Tornus. Um and talks, um, but you get this sort of, you know, she's shooting them all and stuff like that, and she's like, I don't, you know, um, oh, she says that they're just targets, and Tornus is like, uh, you know, that's what you think of them, and she goes, if if they are targets, they've chosen to make themselves such. We held true to our faith and suffered for it. Let them do the same. I won't pity them their choices. And that's when Tornus takes on there and goes, they are possibly not having one. And so he, you know, once again, he's got this, he's not a zealot. Like, he is, I mean, he is faithful. He is thankful to, to, to Sigmar. He has pledged everything he's got to not fail again. But his way of thinking is just different than the rest of this group, it seems. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like that because it keeps coming up throughout the book. But I just like that when he sits there and he's like, you just think of them as targets? Like, he's been redeemed, so he sees, he looks for something redeemable in these enemies. You know? And I don't know if it's to justify himself, to prove that he's not an anomaly, that it's not so weird that he did this, um, you know, or just, you know, because 
he just wants to know that he's not alone or that that it, it, it that it that it, if it happens to more people if more of them are redeemable then maybe that proves that proves his uh redemption i don't know exactly where the thought process is here but i like it mm-hmm. you know um one other thing that i really liked was um when uh she just Enyo just accepts him and says, "Hey, you you're you're wearing our colors. You're one of us. Uh, what what else is there to say?" And he says, "There's not many that are so forgiving." And she just looks at him. I don't expect uh, them to be, and you shouldn't either. We were not forged with forgiveness in mind. We're the storm, and like the storm, we do as we must, not as we might wit- wish. A good thing, I think. Otherwise, Caddick would be more unbearable than he already is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's that. Yeah, don't look for don't look for too much. Too much acceptance here, you know. We we're we're not we're not the forgiveness squadron. We're the we're the we're bringing Sigmar's wrath, you know. Anything else in this chapter? Um, yeah, it's Tornus's last remark in this chapter, um, because he's talking about how much Caddick remembers of his former life, um, and he says Caddick is not being alone in his memories. Tornus said. He tracked a lumbering Blight King along a lower scaffold. I am also remembering where I am coming from, and I am remembering how I got there. He knows, and I don't think a lot of people give him that much credit that he knows what he did. Oh, yeah. Because they just assume, oh, well, you know, you're still kind of the bad guy, but he doesn't. I don't think people give him the credit that he is a different person who has done these terrible things and is still living with them. Whereas the rest of them are living with either their memories or their glories, or in some cases it is their failures of failing to protect people, but he is reliving all the horrors of the atrocities that he committed. So, Oh yeah. And I love where he says pride is a weakness. And she's like, mm-hmm. you sound like you're talking about experience. Oh uh, uh, yeah. That's what got me where I am. Uh, he may be one of the better Stormcast characters that we've had so far. He's, yeah. He's more grounded than the other characters. No matter uh, their diversity or their demeanors, uh, he's got that sort of redemption story going on, even though he's already been redeemed. Mm-hmm. It's like, But now he's got to prove it, and I, and I like where this is going. I really do. So shall we mm-hmm. jump along to Chapter 7? Sure. All right. So we get to the the gate of weeds. So here we are at the at the realm gate. Guess what, guys? They're not going to get it closed. Spoiler no. alert. That's the whole point. If they got it closed, the book would be over. On page eighty. Um, the whole first part of this is fun. Um, because it's all these Nurgle knights, and they truly believe they're in noble service service to their lord. Uh, it's like you said. I have this written in my notes. Switch the sides of this around. And this could be a Bretonian story of them holding off enemies while they're trying to get this thing opened up for the greater glory of of whomever the emperor or or the you know the Carl Franz or whoever. Um, no, it's the uh, the Lady of the Lake or the Lady of the Lake. Sorry, yeah, much better. Ooh, bless you, Kieran. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's 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 a fun read because it's all this. You know, we have by our honor, we have to get this done. We've been working so hard. We can't let these 
these uh, these stupid guys get through us, and of course the Stormcast come in, and then they're fighting, and I'm Bubonicus, the Blightmaster. You know, give me your name so that I may know who I have sent to the garden. And Grim looks at him. He's like, "You don't need my name." And he's like, "Fine, die nameless and forgotten. I salute you nonetheless." Like, if this was an anime, these would be like those. Those villains that you fight where they always have the pause before the fight starts and it cuts to that weird wah, wah, look on the hero's face. Like, what am I real? What is, is this really happening? Mm-hmm. Um, but it is, they are all literal. I mean, they're, it's almost funny if it wasn't so weird because this is, and, you know, granted, this isn't a Nurgle wide thing. But at least this group that has been corrupted were these noble knights, and they bring this through, and it becomes this weird thing with them. Um, and the fights just keep going on between Grimm, between these other guys. Um, the Griffhound jumps in, and that really upsets the Chaos Knight. You sent a dog to fight me? Like, have you no honor? And they're always screaming about honor. And it, they're, they're, literally, Grimm is getting mad. You know, Grimm is tired of hearing about honor. In fact, <laughs> Grimm tackles. This is great. So you've got Grimm here who, you know, he's not, he's, he's second in command. Doesn't want to be first in command. He's good as the shield, right? But he's got a bit of a temper. And it's not a temper that really lets go unless you push him because he's pretty... Even keeled, but when he goes, he goes. And when he tells Grim, Grim's got no honor, and they're screaming about it, he grabs his warding lantern and smashes Bubonicus on the side of the head with it, right? Mm-hmm. And then the helm pops loose and comes off, and Grim just keeps hitting him in the head with it, like literally beating him with the light of Sigmar. Yep. And I mean it literally. He is holding his lantern and has knocked his helmet off with it and is smashing him in the head with it. And then he just starts yelling at him. Honor is it? What honor is there in befouling the land and enslaving its people? You say my honor is a lie? What does that make yours? Every question was punctuated with a blow. Bubonicus sank to his knees with a groan. Answer me, Grim snarled. Answer me! And he keeps smacking it and smacking it. And finally, Bubonicus basically um, uh, uh, puts his hand up and grabs the lantern and flips it aside and sort of tackles Grimm a bit. Um, And this is the part that was like, what? This cracked me up. Was um, Because they've got the Lady of Cankerwall, who's some Nurgle higher up. She's like a demigoddess. Yeah, and she's the one who brings them the promises of salvation in despair and the redemption of the of in and all this stuff. Um, and as as he's fighting him, he's like, you know, where's my honor? What do I do this for? And he screams, "For the lady." My answer is ever thus: for the lady. <laughs> yeah. um, now, the thing to keep in mind is that as I think we uh, know Monicus where all the Bretonians is- went. Not saying, just saying. <laughs> Somebody please convert them into Nurgle. But that's besides the point. So, as they go around fighting, Grim finally gets to look at Bubonicus's face, which is nothing more than like a mess of maggots and larvae and everything like that. Um, on on straight and, up bone, he's a skull head. Yeah. Um, 
and he could still speak and saying, my answer is ever thus for the lady, for the lady. Um, and his, he sees Bubonicus is like, I know who you are. I saw you at the 12th thorn gate. I marked you for a warrior. And then he like throws up when his jaw sags and maggots starts spilling out, crashing across Grimm's face. He pulls a um, Tamarcon. Yeah. Tamarcon's apparently not the only one yet. who can do this. Yeah. Um, so the maggots are spilling all over Grimm, squirming through the slits in his visor and the cracks in his armor. Um, he's He pulls the lantern out and he flips it all the way open to try and kill all of it. And then the big thing that sets it up is he couldn't say whether any of them had gotten into his mouth. Yep. Because he was spitting them out. Because they know some of them because he spit them out. But he didn't know if any had actually been... In the heat of the battle, he might have swallowed one. He doesn't know. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. Boy, boy. We know what's going on here. Yeah, and he ends up killing the rest of them by turning the lantern on and going full blast on the rest of the maggots. But then everything changes. Because it says here, the clear waters... Or we know here it is. The surface of the realm gate began to bubble and foam. The compacted reeds writhed in places if in agony... The clear waters turned an iridescent black before suddenly spewing upwards in an unending flood. From out of the dark came a sound, deep and dolorous. As the black water swept towards him, Grim thought that it might have been the tolling of some vast funerary bell. Yep. So the coven that Bubonicus had succeeds in opening the realm gate and essentially sucks them all in to Nurgle's realm. Yeah, well, I mean, they don't really get sucked in. It starts sucking things in, but they literally kind of it's Nurgle's realm is starting starting to come out a little bit of it. You're sitting the the ucky waters and stuff like that. Um, they, they, well, let's get to chapter eight real quick. Let's do one more chapter real quick before we take a break. Sure. Uh, and that's chapter eight, Poxwater. This one's literally yours. Um, basically, uh, so what do you got here for us in this one? It looked like the yeah. end of the campaign, but it's actually the start. Yeah. So this is Gardas, um still coming through. He is going through and just finishing off the rest of the for- forces that are fighting. Um, and he starts talking with the prisoners that they freed. Um, and one who identifies himself as Yer of Domestness, um, and Gardas recognizes that name, um, but he can't say for sure. Right. Um, and Yer is a philosopher, um, so he is just basically like, well, you and I will have to have a conversation someday yeah. about everything. And they start talking about like, well, where were you guys? Um, you guys have been gone. And Gardas says, I want to ask your forgiveness and to make a promise never to abandon you again. So it's trying to win the mortals back to their side. Well, these, are, saying, these might have been Gardas' people. We don't know that. We don't know that, but there's little implications it might be. Um, but I like that he says, he goes, is, okay, that's a fine sentiment, but is it the truth? Mm-hmm. This guy, you know, we've been, we've been, a lot of people said they were going to help us along the way, and we've been, we've, you know, it's never quite come out that way. So, um, another interesting thing that we 
skipped. Um, Gardas, while he was sort of distracted, started to glow a lot. And all the infected people that they had saved that had bandages wrapped around them and all the pus and the sores and stuff, when they got close to him, when he started to glow near them, they started to, like, all the pus started to burn away and they were healing. Mm-hmm. So I just I just want to point that out. His light is the same light that's coming out of the lanterns. It is the light of Sigmar, and it literally is burning away the impurities and stuff that Nurgle has left behind just from his body. Cool. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so suddenly the citadel starts to shake and crack apart, and they finally put two and two together that Grimm has not come back. And now the Citadel is starting to shake apart, and they're concerned that they may be related. So you have Gardas, who's telling everyone to get the people out of here as they go into the Citadel to try to find Grimm and figure out what happened. Oh, that's right, because they did get sucked in. You were right. I was incorrect. I was thinking about the second squad. I almost forgot about the first squad, because it's spent all the time with the second squad. Yeah. That's um, right. And then, so the whole thing is starting to shake, rattle, and roll, and... The big thing on here is Tornus is flying around looking for survivors, any sign of life, and he sees a little bit of life, and he flies down, um, and he ends up finding Gatrog, who is one of the rappers we've talked about, um, and Gatrog had set, like, he was underneath a log, um, and Tornus helps him out, but he doesn't realize it's Gatrog. Um, so he says, my thanks, friend, without your aid, I might have moldered in the dark or long. And he, like, punches him. And he says, my apologies, friend. I dislike attacking one who has done me a good turn, but we are all enemies after all. Now lie there and I shall crush your skull quickly by way of thanks. <laughs> um, now, Gatrog is... He's one of these knights and he's got this weird sense of honor um and the two of them recognize each other yeah because Torglug asked him is Gorl's dead then like he knows who this guy is and he knows that if he's the duke of Festerfane as Gatrog and who's it then Gorl must be dead and he's like, he's like wait I know you too and that's when he sees Torglug in them he's like you've been enchanted ripped from grandfather's bower by some Azerite curse Mm-hmm. You know, like he looks at him and says, "What did they do to you?" <laughs> you know, <laughs> that that this is thing. And once again, you get this whole thing that you know. And Torglug is telling him, you know, no, there was still a part of me that was me. And he's like, "Oh, that hope." He's like, "Yeah, that's always a weed in father's garden. That should have been plucked clean before while you were still Torglug. That's how they managed to mess you up." Mm-hmm. And then Enyo and Kadok show up. Um. And Kadok dis- pulls out the beacon and burns Gatrog, but Gatrog doesn't stop. Right. So Kadok curses and lifts his beacon higher, fall filth, he snarled, yield to the light. And Gatrog says, a true knight never yields. He still sinks to one knee. Um, but he doesn't burn up like everything else under the light. Yeah, he doesn't die. Right. And Kadok goes in to do the coup de grace, and Tornus stops him because he's saying, um, 
hey, I got hit with the light and right. I didn't die. I didn't burn up. I survived because there was this core that was good in me. You just saw it yourself. You shined that light on him full blast and he didn't burn up. There must be something in him worth redeeming, this honor of this night. And so he insists that they bring him back to Gardas rather than than kill him. Mm-hmm. Because he sees like light draw to light. He sees that there's something in Getrog that could be redeemed. And why kill him when he's something that could be turned back? Which is Tornus's story too. It's I was evil, I was a follower of Nurgle, but I have changed. I am now one of the faithful. I can be saved, so can Gatrog. Right. And even Gatrog's like, what happened? How did this happen to you, Torgal? He says, this isn't a curse. There was a last spark of hope in me, one last ember uh, of faith. And that's when Gatrog looks at him, and he goes, hope is the weed in grandfather's garden. And Tornus is like, yes, that is being the truth of the thing. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's great. You know, one sees it as an insult, and the other sees it as a promise, you know? And these mm-hmm. and so you get these two here set up. The one who's been redeemed and hoping that and we've seen this in a thousand movies. Yep. You know, we've seen this in a in a thousand stories. The one who's who who was corrupt both of them had been corrupted, one came back and now he's trying to save the other. You know, he's hoping that this that he's not an anomaly, that this is something that can happen around. Uh it's an interesting uh, endeavor, you know, it's a weird thing. It's a it's a very unstormcast like thing for him to be looking more to redeem them than to just destroy the enemies. Mm-hmm. And it make it makes for interesting interesting storytelling there. Um, I'm trying to look through here. Yeah. What else? Um, so they chapter? chain him up and they start bringing him back to Gardas. And then we come into Gardas and Morbus and their retinues moving down into the Citadel to try to find Grimm. And they come across the Realmgate chamber by following the obvious path of destruction that Grimm laid out for them. Um, and it's the Realmgate. It's active. It's humming. And there are demons in the room. So they clear the room of the demons and they find Gardas or Grimm's lantern and his halberd, saying that where are they? Where are they? And then Morbus looks at him and is like, no, they're they're gone. Yep. As in they're in the realm of Nur- they're in Nurgle's realm now. Right, and so we just have to let them go. End of story. They're gone. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, that's not going to happen. All right. Uh, break time. Yes, please. Yep. We're over a third of the way done with the book and. We're going to keep plowing through this. It'll get, It's getting quicker, though, getting the chapters done quicker. Break, folks, and then we'll come back and we'll get through at least another third of the book. and Games in Grays Lake, Illinois is your one-stop shop for all your gaming needs. 
They carry anything your gamer may want, from board games, collectible card games, miniature-based games, and all your hobby gaming supplies are there. UGG has it all. Come into the store and ask about their frequent buyers program. Check out their events calendar, in-store or online. From Tuesday night miniature games and Thursday night board games to Friday night magic, there's always something going on at Unique Gifts and Games in Grays Lake, Illinois. Check them out on the web at uniquegg.com. We're back. We're back. Back in Nurgle's Garden. Back. Well, not quite in Nurgle's Garden. Those guys are there. We're coming after them because we're the faithful. I think that's how they say it, too. Only the faithful. I can't imagine that they do it that way. That's like Gilbert Gottfried doing it. (laughs) (laughs) Only the Aflac. All right. Chapter 9. They're in the garden. Um, So Grimm and the guys got sucked into the garden. They're sucked through through the realm gate. And they wind up in Nurgle's garden and uh, they land here. And of course, okay, it's Nurgle's garden. You've heard the descriptions before. They're in a swamp. It's yucky. It's terrible. They're looking around. They don't know where they are. Um, We got to stick together. We don't want to get, uh, we don't want to get killed. It'll, you know, we get killed here. They're getting attacked from all sides. Um, Basically, long story short, there's a group of them and a griff hound with Grimm. The griff hound and Grimm, um, they start getting attacked from all sides by these little swamp creature, monster, nurgly things. And the battle, they're just not stopping. They just keep coming. And these guys are all hanging out here by the realm gate saying, somebody's going to help get us back out. We just need to give them some time. Um, and time is something they don't have. Basically... The fight goes on for many, many pages, and in the end, um, all that's left is Grim and the and the uh, and the Griffhound. Yeah, um, I do want to mention how they come in through the realm gate because it's not. I just walked through a door. Oh no! no they go get ahead with this. Yeah, did underwater. Is what it sounds like because you see it from Grimm's perspective. Well, this realm gate was in the floor. It looked like a pool, didn't it? It was like a pool yeah. in the floor, and then they fell into it. Now they got to come out, so they have to like swim their way out. Yeah, um, and he's dealing with all this water, and it's this bleak, awful stuff, and it's clawing at his insides like poison. Um, and he's fighting through all this sargassum. Um, and it says here, as he ripped the thickest fold of sargassum away, he caught sight of the corpses, innumerable and spreading out away from him in all directions, an infinity of the dead. Bodies bloated with rot and blackened with disease floated together, a reef of decaying meat. Blind eyes met his every met his everywhere he looked, um, and he pushed them aside. Limp fingers flopped against his helmet and war plate. Um, for a moment, the reef broke apart, revealing the dark beyond. He glimpsed something vast and squamous, undulating away into the black, hints of impossible shapes, mighty in their foulness, teased him. Drawing his eyes this way and that, beyond the corpses, he saw a forest of splintered teeth, gnashing together in silent ferocity, and rolling waves of blistered scales as immense leviathans tore at one another in elemental fury. 
a tail the size of a mountain range whipped out of sight. Its movement stirred the waters and the dead. It's uh, pretty crazy. It's pretty harsh. Welcome to the garden. Yep, yep. That's a, that's 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 one way to describe it right there. Welcome to the garden. This um, is a it's a weird sort of sentiment. Now, when like reading the Libra Chaotica, you would expect it to be like a more decaying flower garden, but I think that's going to be closer to when we get to like Nurgle's Mance. But the swamp thing um, still kind of caught me off a little bit because it's that seems so typical as it were but it works we've seen yeah and we've seen so much swamp with what nurgle has done to gyran so for the natural continuation from his realm it ties it together but it's still um like okay all right i'm with you yeah so there's a very long fight scene here it's basically the whole chapter and i'm going to sum it up real quick so we can get to chapter 10 Everybody dies but Grimm and the Griffhound. And the Griffhound is going to take off with him, but Grimm is like going to go and try to figure out what he can do. Like, he can't just stay here. He realizes he can't just sit here. So he's going to take off. He tells the Griffhound to stay there and protect the bodies. Oh, Be- we should also mention that the Stormcasts, when they die, aren't going back home. Yes, that's the, yeah, that was the next point. Protect the bodies. What do you mean protect the bodies? They're not turning to lightning. They can't. They're stuck in in Nurgle's realm, and Nurgle's realm is not allowing them to do their their disappearing act. So if they die here and they get their bodies all you know taken to Nurgle, and they're going to be used by Nurgle for his ends, their souls. And so he basically tells the Griffhound, "Listen, you gotta stay here and guard the bodies." And he feels bad because he knows he's basically condemning that thing to death. Um, cause eventually other things will come and, and fight him for them, but he can't bring him with him and he can't just leave the bodies there. So, and that's where it is. Um, then he takes off and he takes off and next thing you know, here comes a boat sailing in the swamp and he gets picked up and captured by none other than our favorite Nurgle pirate, Gutrot Spume. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're a pretty prize, and make no mistake, I don't think you'll be dying today either. Get him up and be gentle with him, my lads. He's worth more than any blighted soul in this garden. He realizes yeah. that he's got a prize here. Yeah, and these two have fought before. Oh, yeah. They do mention that it's like, oh, I know who this guy is. It's like, yeah, of course it's me. Who else would it be? <laughs> right. And I recognize your face, but all of you guys have the same face. He does mention that I recognize your face, but then again, you all look the same with those masks. Mm-hmm. So, uh, chapter 10, An Oath and a Promise. Yeah, so this is one where they're trying to put together exactly what happened, um, and that the light in Grimm's Lantern is still lit. Which means he's so, still alive. Which means he's still alive. Um, and they talk about the risks and the benefits of either going after Grimm or whether or not they should just shut down the realm gate and destroy it. Um, and they also brought in Gatrog um, 
to say he survived the light of his ear. Um, Gardas even looks at him like that is not possible. Uh, Tornus says, well, I survived the light, and here I am now. Yeah, but and he points out, you survived the light from the Celestine Prime. He's like, <clears throat> that's a little different. I'm not the Celestine Prime. I wouldn't know if this light, you know, if you can call this the same thing. And uh, But he does agree to keep him. Uh, yeah. Well, they make a deal with him. And this is great. This is clever. Play on his honor. Right? Yeah. And they talk about, it's like, okay, well, we're going to go in after him. You show us the way to try to pursue them, and then we will give the option of dying on your feet. Yeah, because he keeps saying, hand me a sword and let me die honorably. And he's like, I tell you what. You promise to lead us here and we'll do that. Um, they don't know how long. Time doesn't work the same in the realms of chaos. No. So basically, this is the dumbest idea. You know, the scariest plan imaginable. Worst plan imaginable. We can't leave them there to that fate. I've been there. I know it's horrible. Yeah, but you only escaped through comple- a complete fluke and luck. I don't know if it was a fluke and luck so much as Nurgle let you out. Well, once again, I would call that a fluke and luck. How often does Nurgle let people out? You know, you, <laughs> it's not like we can storm in there, grab our friend, and say we're leaving. Like this is the mm-hmm. this is the worst plan ever. The only thing that redeems the plan is he leaves back the Heralder and one of the other guys and says the Vexilor, the Vexilor. Yep. And he's like, look, you guys stay here. If we're not back in X amount of time, you may have to just close the gate. Like, we can't leave it here for Nurgle to just start spewing out of it. If that starts happening and it becomes unten- an untenable situation, you're going to have to close it on us. Mm-hmm. And they figure they got about seven days on this side of the realm to, to, to the, before they'd have to, have to, have to close it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's oh, it's a bad plan. Yeah, and they <laughs> talk about and they do the usual like, well, I'll go, I'll go, you go, I won't, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. Um. So they go through that very typical kind of cry, but ends up being like Enyo, Kadok, Torres, or Tornis, um, Morbus goes, and then Grim and some volunteers. So, and then they all activate the realm gate, go into the waters, and they're suddenly going into the garden. Oh, by the way, I like when he makes him swear. He goes, uh, mm-hmm. he goes, what do you, he tells him, I want a guide. And he's like, a guide? What are, you, are you either especially brave or crazy? Neither, I'm just determined. You actually want me to lead you through the garden? And he laughs. Give me a sword and bare your neck if you're so eager to die. And he goes, do you swear? And he goes, I swear. And he goes, on your honor as a knight. And then... Gatrog looks at him and gives him the stink eye. Yes, fie on the yes on my honor as a true knight. I'll get. So it was like it was, you know he didn't just ask him for his promise. He asked him for his honor, and that was it. Now he's got him. And here mm-hmm. we go. And guys, we've all seen this before. He's Gollum. He's Gollum. Yeah, redeemable for, quality. In another for all package. intents and purposes, he was he was like us. He was a knight. Right? He was a knight. He was an honorable guy. He fell. 
He can be brought back. I know I see the good in him. You know, he's leading them through this place. You're going through. Tornus is going in, which a lot of people gave Grimm the side, sideways look when he said that. You go, wait, you're going to bring him back in there? This is a guy who fell to Nurgle's corruption once already. You're taking him home? But it happens, and they're all going. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's that's your big deal. Um and it, of course, and of course, when it starts off, and I'm like, they can't really be doing this. I literally thought it was going to be Gardas, Tornus, and and Gatrog, and that's it. Like, because that literally, that's his plan at first, and then the rest of them are like, nope, we're coming with you. Then they had to take, okay, you guys have to stay back because someone's got to keep an eye on this thing on this side. Mm-hmm. But. Um, yeah, everybody, of course, is coming with. Because you got to get the camaraderie where they all volunteer for the, I can't ask you to come with me on this job, guys. It's too dangerous. No, no, no. Don't be silly. We're coming with you. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Chapter 11? Bankruptcy? <laughs> yes. Kind of. It's the Black Galley, which is just as bad. Um, aboard the Black Galley. Grim's in trouble. Uh, the black galley's moving along. He's got Grim all beat up and tied up, and uh, it's you get some pretty interesting conversations here between Grim and Spume. And we didn't mention this earlier, but we kind of hinted at it. Bubonicus is still alive inside of Grim. He's like possessed him. Or there's a part of him that's inside of him. And it's like his conscious. So he's having like this internal conversation. Kind of like how Malice Darkblade was with uh, Zarkan. Yes. He's, he's got a demon in him now. And he's mm-hmm. talking to him. It's, it's pulling that thing that, um, that Tamarcon did. Yeah. He's, he's, got a, he's got a maggot in him and he's burrowing and he's, he's chewing through him and... He's trying to like eat him hollow to be reborn. Exactly, he's going to hollow him out and take over and get a new body. Uh, and this is this is the the fight that's going on between them. Yeah, thank you for mentioning that. I totally missed that missed that mention here, and I got it written down and everything. Yeah. Um, and this is where they recognize each other. Like we actually fought each other. And he's like, I, "What? I got you know." He's like, "Oh no, we fought each other." So. And now they're arguing. They're telling him to shut up. With you know, it's it's got that whole inner inner battle. Um, and then you get a little bit from Gutrot's view. Gutrot's view is kind of fun. Like, like the the word's been out to find this guy. He's getting orders to bring him places. Like he, you know, he's out there basically harvesting souls that come through the weak souls. You know, harvesting them up and bringing them in, and that's sort of what he does. He was. In Gyran fighting until he got his butt kicked with the uh, Glotkin. And so now he's like on, like he's not even with his fleet anymore because he used to have a whole fleet. His fleet is in the upper levels of Nurgle's Garden. Uh, and he's just got the one ship or the, whatever he can manage. And he's like, he's like on bathroom detail basically at this point for Nurgle because uh, he's got to prove himself again. But I do like as they go through his ship. You know, mm-hmm. um, you know, and he keeps talking about grandfather and how you know just do your job, and grandfather will promote you and bring you up. And uh, then we get to these things, and and uh, 
Spume, he tells this guy to bring him a soul. And he brings him up one of these souls they have captured, and he takes his axe, he cuts him up and rips up the soul and uses that as a way to summon or talk to other other things. Um, and so he pulls up this thing and he's like, what do you want, pirate? And he's like, and he's talking to Urslog. Uh, I'm not the sort to endure disrespect, especially from a thin shank mollyboggle such as ye. And the flies are going, well, my question still stands. What do you want? I have a gift. What sort of gift? One that will benefit us both mightily. So he knows someone who might help him with get this stormcast just over there to, to, to do the job. Um, but he's got plans. You know, this is, this is the type of thing. Bring in one of these guys because you can't capture him because he turned to lightning. Mm-hmm. And Nurgle wants to know what the deal is with these guys. So there's basically a bounty on Stormcast if you can get them to Nurgle Hole. Mm-hmm. So he's got one. He's calling up favors. He's calling up friends. And that's, I mean, it's a good chapter and it's interesting. And you get a lot of the descriptions of the boat and all the, you know, the, the, the souls that are, that are rowing the oars. And, but it's, you know. Plot-wise, he's got him, and he knows what he's got, and he's interested, and now he's looking for help to deliver him. So, right. And then that brings us to Chapter 12, uh, Into the Dark. Let's do this one last chapter at least uh, before – oh, no, we yeah. got a little more time before we break. So let's yeah. keep going. Let's so keep going. this is actually the part where they turn on the realm gate, and they do a little benediction, a little blessing, saying, okay, well, who will receive the blessing of Azir? And naturally, only the faithful. Um, of course. So now Garrog says you're an idiot for going in. No soul leaves um, Grandfather's Guardian without Nurgle's will. And Gardas is like, well, I have. We're going back in and we're going to do it again. Yeah. But not – I mean, you know, Gardas's faith and Gardas's, you know um, – his positivity, his optimism, uh, while it is infectious and it and it leads his guys to greater things in battle, right here nobody's buying it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think anybody's buying it. They're all looking around like we're not going to leave you to go alone, and we want to go save our friend too. But this is—I mean, even Morbus looks at him. Morbus just kind of looks at him up and down and says, "Well, why are we doing this?" Yeah, and he goes, "It's a bit late to ask that." And he goes, "Answer the question. Like, don't avoid it." He goes. For Loris and the others. He goes, perhaps, partially, but that's not the whole thing. Why? And then he's like, Gardas goes, I don't know. Perhaps just to prove that it can be done and that we're the ones to do it. We're the faithful. Who better to march into this green hell than us? You know, if Sigmar was here, he'd tell us otherwise. Would he? Or would he lead us himself? And that because now, and, and I'm reading this and I'm like, okay. Now I kind of see, you know what his point is like you know why did he's almost got survivor's remorse mm-hmm. and he he's trying to find that purpose that better thing that he needs to do uh so now he's going back he's like i'm not leaving my friend to suffer this way we're gonna go we're gonna get him but there's even more you know he's got this feeling like this like they're supposed to do this like something's there's something important there you know <laughs> It's not like you're going to take down Nurgle, you know? No. <laughs> you can't. That can't be the reason. But there's something. 
Like there's like this is this is something worth doing. There's a point behind this, and I don't see it. But Sigmar didn't put us here for no reason. Mm-hmm. Um, would it be just to go after scramble after a few friends? Like you know, if he hadn't put us here, you know, this is what starts to bake your noodle. Is how much does Sigmar know? You know. Mm-hmm. Because they 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 talk about this here, and it's like, you know, if Sigmar hadn't put them there, they might not. Someone else might have just closed off the realm gate. You know, might not have gotten captured. You know, and if they if if he knew they were going to get captured and they go after him, then was that the plan the whole time? Did he have a bigger plan in mind? And they all have faith that Sigmar's got a better plan in mind. The question is just how much does he know? Right. You know, because he ain't the emperor. Mm-mm. He's not omnipresent. He's not everywhere. No, he's not ever. Although he, he he's far more than a mortal man at this point. He right. has become a god, but he's not uh, omniscient, uh, omnipotent, or omnipresent. So, as you put it, so we've got to figure this out. Um, Torna, Tornison, and Gatrog continue with some more banter too, don't they? Mm-hmm. They got a lot of that. I am. I'm not. I'm not Torglug. Oh, sure you are. Going on. Um, I, 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 all of these conversations are worth having because yeah, he just taunts Tornus too. They're worth like I could re- I could literally just sit and read every one of these conversations to the listeners. Like they're all worth having, and it's all the the two of them. You know the well, redeemed- it's also the three. Because you have Tornus, who is questioning himself while being questioned by Gatrog and having that dialogue. But then you have Kadok poking his head in and saying, are you sure that you are who you are now? So it's almost like it's a two-on-one, but the two are from different perspectives. One is questioning the faith in Sigmar, the other is questioning the faith in Nurgle. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, and you get all of this going on. Um, and it's interesting because here you've got the two of them separate. One who's been redeemed and one who is, he's hoping can be redeemed. And the redeemed one's saying you're not really redeemed. You're just lapsing in your, in your Nurgle faith. So he doesn't see him as redeemed. You know, Gatrog sees him as fallen and needs to be pulled back too. They see each other in the same way. Um, mm-hmm. But then you've also got Grim on the other side, who's having this exact same battle, but internally, literally internally, yeah, exactly. It's 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 all right there. Um, what was this? That I had uh, Angston. Angston. Um, he has little. Oh yeah, Angston gets left behind, and he is just. He has doesn't have a lot of patience anymore since his reforging. It says, uh, in fact, uh, did you mark this part on one sixty four to one sixty five near the end of chapter twelve? No. Uh, of late, he began to wonder whether the one was not preferable to the other. He's talking about when he remembers when he dies and the sort of peace before being pulled back and the agony of reforging. In death, there was peace. To drift at one with Azir itself would be a fine thing. In life, there was only another death to look forward to. He shook his head, banishing the thought, and looked up at the comet sigil that topped the battle standard. To be a part of the eternal tempest, he muttered, that's the reward I shall claim when the storm rolls on. A selfish desire, perhaps, but it was his, and he held to it. Um, Interesting characters who don't seem to want to be stormcast or sort of regret being stormcast, like 
I'm stuck in this war eternally. And every time I die, I'm just brought back and part of me is getting ripped apart. I'm not happy with this. Like when this is done, if I get my promise from Sigmar where I get my reward, my I want to die. Like legit mm-hmm. just die. And I'm like, oh, I hope they're not. You know, you read this stuff and these the bits of the fear and the bits of the reforging and the, read stuff like this and you're just like, oh, I just don't want Stormcast Chaos. Don't yeah. have, don't have, don't please don't have a heresy. <laughs> you know, no, um, we don't need that again. Exactly. But even here at the last part, I have marked. It says the war would never end, and they would march beneath the banners of heaven until the stars burned out and the suns became cold. While Sigmar still fought, so too with the Hallowed Knights. They were the faithful and could do no less. And that's the end of the, the pretty much what I have for chapter twelve. Um, yeah, and but, they do talk a little bit about like what the rest of them want to do mm-hmm. and none of them want to continue fighting except for maybe Karunta who's trying to, who wants to go home and reunite all of his peoples. But right. Enyo wants to explore the celestial sea. And then Gardas just wants to go back to being a doctor. Well, they all have these dreams. The it's like, they, yeah, I mean, they were, they are warriors and they're doing what they need to do, but they miss their old lives. And it's, it's sad because they are these great warriors and they're doing their job. But it's like, yeah, at the end of the day, I eventually someday I want this war to end and I want to go back to being having a life. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and I like Yare or is still there with Angston. Because, oh, here's what we talk about. All those people that they freed, they a lot of them wouldn't leave. A lot of them want to stay and fight. And this is a good thing. Them wanting to stay and fight. They're not just they're not just objective markers in the story. You know what I'm saying? It's not just, oh look, we freed the people, they all ran away, now we continue on our battle. This mm-hmm. is we freed the people and the weak and the scared and the ones who couldn't stay totally ran away. But the rest of them stayed. And Yari said he would he wouldn't okay, he's not gonna leave. He will be the last one to leave. The old blind philosopher. He's their leader, he's the last one to leave. A bunch of them said they're not leaving until he leaves. So you've got this core group who are sort of staying around and trying to help out and trying to do some good in in this in this place. Um and I do like that he sits down and him he talks with Angston a lot. They have nice little philosophical debates. Because Yari's been a prisoner and hasn't been able to talk to or, 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 or stretch his mind at all. And Angston's been fighting all the time. He hasn't had that opportunity either. He says, you know, wouldn't it be nice to, to just fight in a battle of wits? And Angston's like, yeah, that, that could be cool. Like, I could enjoy that. And so they sit down in the rest of the book, the two of them, when he's not fighting off attacks from from the guy from the bad guys. They're sitting debating philosophy, and it's great. I mean, it cracks me up when he throws his hands up in the air. He's like, I'm surrounded by sophists. I'm like, oh, this is fantastic. Mm-hmm. So um, we're going to – you know what? Let's do – you want to do one more? We'll do one more and then call it uh, call it a section before we take a break. And we've only been going eight. Actually, we've only – yeah, we've been going about 30 minutes. Why don't we hit Chapter 13, get this one done, and then we'll take a break. Sure. Um, right. Go for it. So, uh, Gardas is going through the garden, like coming up through the water, um, 
he doesn't have the same description that uh, Grimm gives, but he's still hearing the faces and the voices of the people that he was supposed to help when he was a human. Um, and I think it's going to be one of those things that you're constantly reminded of your failures, the despair while you're going through Nurgle's garden. So I think we're going to be seeing this more and more from him, at least that he won't admit to it. Um, and Atius describes the air as breathing soup. Ugh. So it's obviously very humid, it's very so muggy. Um, so they are dealing with a pox rain, which is not just one that stains armor. It tarnishes the mind and the soul. He was not the only one seeing ghosts. We saw this both in his walk through the garden and during the Realm Gate Wars before they had awoken Alarial, when they were just trudging through these swamps Mm -hmm. and fens where it was, it's eating away at you, like you said, mind and body. Yep. It's wearing you down with this whole, you need to quit, You're it's done, it's no good, you're not going to make it. Uh, it's it's pretty bad. Uh, they mm-hmm. do find the, the all the dead ones, and they find the Griffhound, and they bring him with them. Uh, and they're uh, able to bring them with them because of Mor- Morbus. Uh, okay, so Morbus... Well, it's Morbus and Caddock, because Caddock's still got his beacon. Right. Caddock's got the beacon, and it's lighting their way, and it's burning away stuff around them. As long as that beacon is staying lit and bright... They've got a natural sort of defense against anything that's, you know, anything except the really tough stuff is just going to stay away from them. Yeah. But and the, the corruption, they still have. It's there's a one of the adjudicators that comes with them is like, I didn't think it would be this way. I can't breathe. There are flies in my armor. I can hear them, feel them. Yeah. So that's when Jardis grabs the lantern and washes it over. And it's they're going to have to do that on a regular basis. Yeah. To keep the infection off. Right. Um, but once again, the only reason that they can leave, because they don't want to leave those bodies there. They're worried about the bodies because they don't want Nurgle to get their souls. Um, dude, okay, Lord Relictors already I thought were cool, but they pull some of the craziest stuff in this book. You are going to see some insane things. Like, when did they get, what power is this? Um, on this one, uh, particularly, he basically pulls the souls out of all five of their bodies mm-hmm. and puts them inside his own body like he's carrying them. And it's literally burning him up on the inside like he's getting hotter and it's burning to hold these souls. But now he's walking around with six souls in his body, including his own. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's saving them as long as he's alive and they get back, they can be released to Azir. Right. But so that's what happened. And the bodies basically turn to dust mm-hmm. and, and rot um, once he does that. But yeah, he the five who died coming through that fell through with Grim are now all inside uh, Mor- uh, Morbus. Uh, they, they can't do a lot inside Morbus. It's not like they're going to take over his body or he's tapping their memories, but he saved their souls from Nurgle's garden. And it's a lot of extra weight to carry. Yes. All of these extra souls. Yes, it's it's difficult for him. Um, and so then they start off on the march, and they're going to find themselves a boat. I don't mm-hmm. know if they find... They, I think, they, yeah, they find the boat. 
uh, don't they find the boat in this? Uh, they do. Yeah, they find. Yeah, basically they're out there, and another boat comes by, similar to, similar to gut rot spumes, uh, except it's it's not crewed by anyone nearly as as tough or as good, and they just wipe them out and steal the boat. Yeah, and then they take off after spume. Um, who gets a visitor? Uh, spume gets a visitor. And who is this dude? Oh, this is uh, pusillanimous blotch. No, pusillanimous pusillanimous blotch. Sorry, pusillanimous blotch. Uh, He comes in flying on a rot fly, you know, comes in and he's a plague bearer. And uh, he's dressed in all like moldy finery. Um, He's got a bent rapier attached to him. A little foppish. A little. Yeah. Another, I am, I am a, uh, he, and he's a messenger from uh, a, a very powerful Nurgle entity. So you know he's all high and mighty, acting, you know, all, all stuck up, basically insulting Spume quite a bit. You know, I'm not mm-hmm. used to such uncultured foulness and stuff like that. Um, and even when when. When Spume's like, who sent you? He's like, oh, someone more powerful than you. Well, that's not hard, though. You've fallen far quite a bit, haven't you? Like, he's just insulting him and 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 calling him names and telling him how much he sucks. And I'm like, this isn't a good idea at all. Like, you may be – this is just a plague bearer, you know? You may, uh, you may have an important boss, but you're – you just you you bark an awful lot for being such a little doggy. Um, in fact, Spume gets mad and pulls his axe out like he's going to hit him, and the dude's like, "You wouldn't dare." Um. So here's basically what happened. Um, he gives him the message that you're going to bring it to desolation or suffer the consequences. Father Decay would see this thing you have found. Uh, Father Decay is the Hand of Nurgle, one of the Council of Ruination. So one of seven great unclean ones, I guess, who mm-hmm. sort of and run these are things much, for Nurgle. These are like the exalted greater demons yes. of Nurgle is what I'm imagining here. Yeah, yeah. These are like, these are the number twos in the, in the realm. Nurgle being number one, these, this, this Council of Ruination are all of his number, all of his seconds. Yeah. And the... Important thing to understand here is, um, as we're going through, um, Gatrog had said that they, when they came in, they were just in the first tier, and naturally there are seven tiers. Of course. Um, and at this point, when they start to play it out, it started to remind me of like Dante's Inferno. Of course, and that path to redemption. Oh yeah. Yeah, I mean we'll talk about that when we wrap it up, but it's kind of like, oh, there's seven tiers, there's seven rings in hell. Yep. It, this can't be a coincidence. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you got Nurgle's Nurgle's sort of uh you know, that's his number two, but you know, we go through this. I think what's interesting here is that you see this guy come and he's just this weasel and he is just talking smack to Spume and I'm like, dude, I thought Spume like, you know, for him to to, to, to kowtow like this seemed a little weird to me. After he gets the whole message and says, Yeah, okay, I'll deliver him, he still pulls out his axe and cuts this dude's head off. 
And he was like, you can't attack me. Who do you think you are? And he looks, who are ye to tell me what I can and can't do in my own vessel, eh? A fool, that's who. When grandfather remakes you, Blotch, hold fast to this memory and let it guide you to future wisdom. And uh, <laughs> Dirk, his like assistant's like, uh, Father Decay is not going to like that. And he's like, well, then he should keep his courtiers on a shorter leech. I'm not play the worm belly on my own ship by grandfather's wormy guts. So he's still, hey, look, I'm the master of my ship. Don't even. Don't even. Don't play. So uh, you get that. And then you get these, uh, as he's sort of sailing through, he goes past these two stone guardians, which I don't know if they're actually the real thing at this point, uh, but I'm thinking they might be. They might have been a real great unclean one and a greater... The, uh, a zinch demon uh, yeah, that were literally two turned to stone. Yeah, it's demons. Yeah. Um, the demon whispered, whispered treacherous hopes into the ears of many of grandfather's most loyal servants, including one of his oldest, um, whose name, the oldest and mightiest of Nurgle's sons, whose name had since been erased from the ledger of souls. So this, this ossified demon over here, um, he was... Nurgle's greatest, but turned against him because he was led astray by the treachery of this uh, uh, Lord of Change, and mm-hmm. uh, so and Nurgle just got mad and turned them into statues to guard the realm here, like basically laid them down to watchdog status uh, mm-hmm. until he's no longer mad at them. Which you know, knowing these guys is only forever. Yeah, and. And even says like here, even the Lord of Change is still like trying to whisper treasonous thoughts. And um, Spume looks at it, laughs, and makes a rude gesture. Metal yeah. your promises to someone else, or I'll carve my name into your scrawny neck. Yeah. <laughs> Don't make me graffiti you, you jerk hole. So mm-hmm. there you go. And that's uh, wow. We're about two thirds of the way through the book. Then we're mm-hmm. on the trail. Yeah, about. <laughs> chapter 14. Yeah. Uh, we're going to take a break here, but 14 out of 21 chapters because 22 is more of an epilogue. So we're about two-thirds yeah. of the way through. We're not doing too bad. I mean, I've, I've taken a lot longer to cover books, and we got more cool stuff coming up. So let's take a break, and when we come back, chapter 14. Are you finally looking to start your rebasing project? Six Squared Studios. Are you looking for some new and interesting resin terrain? Six Squared Studios. Are you looking for some fancy acrylic counters to keep track of wounds or maybe some other statistical anomalies? Six Squared Studios. Maybe you need a new rack for your paint? Six Squared Studios. Well, then look no further. What you need is Six Squared Studios. They ship worldwide with domestic shipping for both the U.S. and Canada. Six Squared Studios. That's right, Six Squared Studios. That's the number six, squaredstudios.ca. When your gaming needs go beyond your basic dice, tape measure, models, and paints, think Six Squared Studios. Six Squared Studios. Now all your base are belong from them. 
And we are back, traveling through a town called Despair. Yes, yes. Um, so, I think this is your lead on this one. Yeah. Um, so, as they're traveling through the different rings and everything, you're starting to encounter, like, civilization, which you don't think of when you imagine, like, this massive waste of swampland, but there's actually, like, towns and, like, civilizations in there. I mean, they're obviously corrupted by Nurgle and everything right. like that. Um, but there's quite a bit of fighting right away, um, as it seems to be the thing. As they've been traveling through, they've needed to, like, cleanse themselves, as we mentioned before, with, like, the beacon and everything. And Morbus has been praying to keep their souls and their bodies clean. And there's a quote here just describing kind of what the process of what they're going through is. Everything about this realm spoke of filth and degradation. It stained one's mind as well as one's armor. Despite Morbus's protective incantations and the prayers they murmured almost constantly, a fell aura surrounded the Stormcast. It was like a piece of grit caught between armor and flesh, all but unnoticed at first, but growing ever more uncomfortable and distracting. It was a constant battle to keep their armor scraped free of mold, made worse by the spores that floated through the damp air. So they're constantly being assailed as they're going through, and they're constantly being tested. Um, so now, they're... F- oh, go ahead. No, I, I, I had that marked, too. Um, and it is this constant, constant battle. It's like, it's... It, Going through the realm, because it's just, it wants you to give in to despair. That's the whole thing for all of these guys. Everyone who goes through this accepts this despair. And as these guys just keep trudging, it gets harder because they have hope, which is the weed in the garden. Um, and it's repeated throughout this whole section. Um, you know what? Did you notice the, the cool new uh, Stormcast powers that they're showing off in this chapter? <laughs> There's a lot of them, dude. Okay, what's okay? He calls them together to sing their war song. They begin to sing their song, and as they're chanting, then they bang their hammers together, and then finally they just slash all their hammers on the ground and they throw up this giant lightning storm. I want it. I want to do this. I want to take five stormcast and uh, and uh, and the relictor. And chant out my prayers of Sigmar and just throw up a lightning storm and just wipes out just about everything that's near me. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. They just blew up. I mean, they, I mean, they're in this place and they basically throw this lightning storm and, and, and burn out all of the Nurgle plant life growing, kill anything in the area. Like, it literally just cleansed the area. Mm-hmm. And they do that a lot, and it gets harder as they go along the farther into this place they get. But I like, I mean, he threw in some really great little, it's like, wow, that's cool. Wow, that's cool. What the heck is that? That's cool. Mm-hmm. I want to see those. Yeah. So as they're trudging and as they're traveling down the river, um, they start to figure out like where they need to go, and they have no idea what's ahead of them. So Gardas sends out his prosecutors and Enyo to scout ahead to see what's going on through and what they can expect as they're coming. And they pass over different 
Death's Head Gardens. So this is where like blighted souls tend to this crop, and the Death's Heads are what the plague bearers on top of the blight drones uh, throw at you. Not the blight drones, uh, the plague. Now they're pl- yeah, the plague drones. So that's what they throw at you. It's a cultivated crop. So it's that cycle of life that goes through. And they talk about destroying them. And it's, well, if we did that, they would just come right back. Such destruction would serve no no purpose save to alert the enemy and waste what little time we have. So they talk about destroying them because they're so damaging. But they can't because they don't have the time. And they need to keep moving. Well, and you don't want to... You don't want to put a big peek in, hey, I'm right here. Mm-hmm. You'd have to burn yeah. the whole land, and you can't burn the whole land. Mm-hmm. So, yep. No, you're wasting the, your time. There is quite the conversation here between Torglug, well, Tornus, um, who Gatrog always refers to as Torglug, because he's still trying to tempt him back to Nurgle. Mm-hmm. And then Tornus is like, no, I've never been here. This is never been something I've done. And the two of them banter back and forth quite a bit about how the king of all flies isn't this despairing thing. But it is. So Gatrog says, the king of all flies offers life, my friend. Freedom from doubt and pain. Freedom from those raw red things that taint even the smallest of moments. To know to understand and give oneself over to him is to know with unalterable certainty that you are loved. And of course, Tornus responds with his love as being a lie. So it's again, the temptation of oblivion as it were, right. And giving into despair. So the two of them have this conversation and it bounces then again to, Grim being stuck on the boat, having the same conversation in a way with Bubonicus and a new character that we've not seen, which is a witch. And she's trying to figure out how the Stormcast work and how they can make, like, how they can corrupt them, as it were, to figure out what's going on. Mm-hmm. So, they, Grim and Gutrot arrive in the Port of Despair, which is essentially kind of a stopping point. And I just... I'm sorry, I keep losing my quotes. It's okay. I got where she got to the Port of Despair and uh, Grimm is there and that's with uh, Urslog. Yes, the witch. Yeah, and she's going to crack the secret of the Stormcast. Mm-hmm. And they get there. And honestly, um, I just I the stuff that I really had marked here is, uh, you know, they they get there and the, you've got uh, Spume and her and Grim, and they're all arguing back and forth. And he just takes off. Uh, Spume's like, "Okay, we're docked. I got to take care of this. Just crack this, whatever it is." And that's when. Uh, that's at the end. She turns to him. It's right out. It's right out of an every '80s movie. Urslog turned to Grim. A chill ran through him as he gave, as she gave a tombstone smile. Now we have much to discuss, you and I. 
Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh, here we go. And now we'll discuss the location of the rebel base. <laughs> yeah. And I, what she's also tasked with is to figure out which soul is which inside of Grimm between Buponicus and Grimm. Yep. Yeah, he wants them to try to split them. Good luck with that. So this way, uh, Rock can take all of the glory and stop Bubonicus from stealing it. Yeah, yeah, if he cracks it before they even get it, then it's, yeah, that's his, that's his prize. Yeah. And Gut, or Gutrot's view, as we know, is an arrogant, arrogant person who has to do it his way and he has to take things away from others. He's a glory hog. Yes, is what he is. He is, but some of that's not completely undeserved. He's pretty good, actually. Mm-hmm. So I mean, he does he he his exploits are numerous, you could say. So, uh, where do we get to next? Chapter fifteen, black sails. Okay, and meanwhile, Angston and your Ariare are debating and philosophizing. Uh, and this is where they get back. And this is you get more of these discussions. You get another third, a third level of these discussions. You've got Torglug and Tornus arguing it internally with each other while while uh, Gutrog is sitting there trying to give him his uh, talk him back to Nurgle. And then you've got the battle going on inside Grim. And now these guys are over here, away from the battle. Just basically having these same types of discussions. Um, they're fun to read. Um, uh, I, I like where I like where Angston just uh, just like gets frustrated and just starts like you know calling them. You, oh, I'm surrounded by sophists. I can't believe you guys. Um. But all in all, it's it's more let's getting down, and then what are they doing while they're chit chatting? Suddenly, um, the demons are starting to come through the realm gate. Mm-hmm. He gets called off to a hey, come you got to check this out, and now they're there. And I, you know what it felt like to me when I was reading this, and this is what, it's just a little weird to sit and describe. I don't want to describe every conversation for you, you know. That I mean that that would be weird, you know. But this scene here reminded me almost of if he was that scene where they're playing chess with death in the seventh seal, you know, the Bergman mm-hmm. picture. That's kind of what this reminded me of. He's like sitting there. You got this old wise guy, sit or wise man, whatever, sitting there, <laughs> and he's uh, talking with him. And they're just sort of debating and debating as they're sitting and, and just sort of waiting for this thing to happen. Um, and then it does, and he gets called off um, because things are starting to come through. And, of course, now you're getting the real battle, like the literal battle of them just pouring out and them starting right here on this side to go along with their journey on the other side, which they still haven't even gotten to Grim. Then they got to get him back. Meanwhile, these guys are out here fighting. Um, this, I got a question, though. Okay. Mm-hmm. I got a question, though, as I'm going through here. Um, they're in this place, right? And 
they're talking about how it kind of sucks that they're there, and he's like, "Oh no, there's a purpose here. There's something that's you know, there's something we're supposed to do here. You know, nothing happens for no reason, and you're going around here, and uh, they talk about trying to sneak in and grab him and get out. And uh, Kadok, our, our 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 friendly barbarian, is like, even here the thunder of Sigmar will be heard. We'll make the realms tremble with the strength of our faith." And then Gardas is like, I fear the realm trembles with the anger of its creator rather than any display of ours. And it's like, that's the thing. If these guys are so important and so annoying, I, I just, at times I'm just like, why doesn't Nurgle just crush them? If they're th- if he wants them this bad, if he needs them, if it's this important, why doesn't he just grab them? And I, I mean... Well, the thing with Nurgle is that he plays the slow game. His is a grinding, and that's where his strength is. He doesn't want to just take them and hold them prisoner. That's not how he operates. Okay. He wants you to struggle. He I wants see. you to fail. And when you fail, that's when you know despair. Ah, I see. As what we've you're mentioned, they shall know no despair except in failure. Ah, I gotcha. So that's what's going on. Because, I mean, didn't it seem like, you know, hey, Nurgle could cry. If these guys are just little tiny extensions of him, his like his his generals and his captains, like he could just go and just be like, all right, we're done here. You're causing too much trouble. I suppose he, those I suppose those minor things are kind of beneath him, aren't they? He's a little of, bit, but it's also what Gutrot realizes later as they are traversing and he's out ahead of the other ship is that his job is to lead all of them to Nurgle into the seventh circle. Right. So he realizes that and it then becomes, Oh, I may be the bait, but I'm also delivering more than just a single stormcast. I'm going to be delivering several. I got you. I got you. And all the while, the ones behind him have to keep fighting and keep trying and keep burning themselves out to the point that, again, despair sets in. Uh Uh-huh. I guess that was better than I was. I just always, you know what I'm saying? It just seems like, hey, you got that power. You could use it and this would be done. It's, you're a god, you're in your realm. So why can't you just do this? Well, yeah, that's not how he plays. I guess not. And I, I'm, I'm, and I'm, I'm totally buying your explanation. I'm serious. I'm agreeing with you. I didn't think about it that way. I just thought it would maybe be too vulgar a display of power, but hmm. you know, you bringing in that much firepower to to crush these guys. I mean, those guys should be able to do it. And if they screw up, like you said, then you can, he could punish them in some interesting way, like he does. So, um, so. They're following this thing, and they're going out. So basically, uh, they're heading for the walled city of despondency on the fourth tier. Um, so they're going to get to the fourth level. So we got to either meet them on the fourth level or catch them first. But this is going to be a, a, a chase. We got a chase movie going on here. Mm-hmm. And... Um, They're like, oh, let's bypass the obvious route, and this is what happens. They get these, they get these choices of roads, right? There's the mm-hmm. obvious route, which is cleared, but they'll be spotted. It'll be easy to get to them. 
they can take this other way the way nobody else does. It is kind of a shortcut, but it's super dangerous. And they should be able, if they can get through it, to get there ahead of time. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, all right, now we're in Mordor. All right. <laughs> like, we're making that journey. We're trying to get to that, you know, catch our catch our friends, keep them, you know, get them, make keep them safe. And they're being dredged up to be, you know, to to because if you take these guys to Nurgle, I mean, if it finally comes out where it's them and Nurgle, then you got like, oh, now we got issues. <laughs> but so this is the little journey here. So um, yeah, and that's what you said when he realizes he's the bait, he's drawing them in. If he does a good job, he'll get uh, the recognition, the promotion that he so craves. Yep, and he'll get his fleet back in the good ocean. Mm-hmm. Not the level one swamp. No. And then we wind up with more talking between Grimm and um, what's his name? Well, Bubonicus. Pume, but Bubonicus is in there yip yap yapping at him. And then Urslag as well. Yep. And they're just not, and they're not, dude, and they're not nice. They're, I mean, it's not like they're just talking to him. They got. All three of them tell it, you know, Pubonicus is inside him, tell him to give up. It's inside his head. Give up, just give up. The other two, um, they're there just sort of kind of beating him up a bit. <laughs> just like smacking him around, telling him to, uh, tell him the things they want to know and stuff like that. I'm like, oh, this is, he's just taking a beating. And he's got to like fight mm-hmm. off all of it while it's inside his own head is telling him to quit. And he's got to hold on. Um, this part is actually pretty good because Grim is just like, nope, I'm not giving up. You know, um, literally just telling everybody off and telling them all to shut up. Um, and then, of course, the chapter ends because he's going through this mental and physical sort of torture of course, you got to end the chapter with only the faithful. Of course. <laughs> and then, of course, isn't this where the Skaven show up, chapter 16? Not yet. No? Okay. Oh, so, spoilers. Yeah, as they are journeying to what is called the Great Vent, which is going to be the shortcut. Okay, and that's right. This is a tunnel essentially dug out by a gigantic godworm that the Skaven have now infested. Spoiler. In route, Gutrod's boat gets ambushed by a Greed Unclean One of the Rock Guard that Bolthorax uh, first interest introduced us to right. in the uh, Realm Gate Wars series. And it ends up with Gutrod going one-on-one with a Great Unclean One and actually scaling up him and cutting off his head. Okay. As a way to prove the point. And you know what? That's like their biggest weakness, I think. Because how many times – this is at least the third or fourth time I've written that they run up like – the, the great unclean one swings and misses, and they run up his arm and stab him in the face. Like, that's a – that you need to do something about that, guys, because this is like a common way – this is like in the textbook. Run up the arm, stab him in the eye. Or shoot three arrows into the back of his head. Well, yeah, but you still got to run up to the back of his head to shoot him at from point blank, so you get him. Mm-hmm. But it's always fun to have a little pirate adventure. And um, 
I like the interplay between Spume and and Gulaks uh, and those other people on his boat. Um, there are demons way more powerful than him that mm-hmm. show up and start telling him what to do. And most of these stories, when they talk to their underlings, the underlings cower. Here's a guy who knows when to back down and when to do what he's told, like when the, it's pointless. But, man, don't mess with him on his boat, huh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> he does this every time someone comes over there. He's like, nope, this is my ship. I make the law while I'm on this ship, and that's all there is to it. And he doesn't get pushed around by anybody. It's pretty fun to watch him go at it. I mean, literally, come on. He took out a great unclean one by himself. That's got to speak mm-hmm. for something, right? Absolutely. So. And by this point, we should also mention that Ursulag was trying to figure out all the secrets for herself. And right. Spume figured it out and he cut off her head. But it's continuing to talk. Very similar to like any of the other characters with multiple heads attached to them that are dead but still talk to them. Except... I think Ursula is more like a demon, so she can still exist even missing her head. Well, they said in the place they're at, you can't die. She's like, you know we can't die here. Mm -hmm. And if the body's not completely destroyed, yeah, I guess they're still sentient to some degree. So she's like, you know, so he ties her up. He takes her longer her hair and he ties her up on like near the near the masthead or whatever Mm -hmm. that he's uh, where he's near so he can talk to her. Yep. It's just like, oh, boy. Yeah, because she was trying to backstab him. She mm-hmm. called up two different, didn't she? She summoned up a, a, a Skaven uh, demon, uh, a horned, uh, a rat, de- you know, one of the rat demons, and um, she summoned up something else to talk to, to tell him that she had him. And now they're coming. Yeah, yeah it was a vermin lord uh, corruptor. That's it. You always know all the names of things. That's what's so good about you, Alex. I do what I can. So as they're traveling through, and this is Grimm's, uh, or Grimm and Gutrot still, they're traveling through to get to the place called, it's called the Gape, which is actually the Skaven dug rat hole of a path next to the Great Vent. And it's guarded by a lot of rotting gargants that are semi-sentient that'll still attack. And they get past them and they start making it towards the gape. And Ursulag starts talking to him, saying, I didn't know you spoke Queekish, Spume, Ursulag said. Now, I didn't realize that the language that the Skaven speak is called Queekish. Yeah. Which I thought was weird, given Warlord Queek. From the old world. Yep. I just, I thought it was just Skaven speak. I didn't realize it was an actual language. I didn't know it had a name either. Yeah. But what are you going to do? Yep. And they this have this bit of. for the Gargans, too. It is. Because they're stuck there rotting, but they yeah, won't die. Yeah, they're just, yeah, they're just, you know, they're laying on the ground. I mean, the, the Stormcast makes short work of them, but they won't die. So they pump, mm-hmm. they, they, this guy, I mean, he pummels his skull in, and he's just sitting there kind of twitching and trying to move, waiting for his skull and brain to reform enough so he can get up and go away, until then he's just stuck there. It's like, 
Well, that's kind of horrible and gross at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not good. <laughs> and they get stuck going through this mud, so they're trying to pull themselves out of the swamp using chains and then fighting off gargants at the same time. Yep. It's just... And they're pulling the boat, and Morbus is standing on top of it, still shining out his light, so they, it makes the pulling easier. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a cool little thing here where the Nurgle guys were talking um, about the Skaven, now that he knew that the Skaven were coming. You know, like they knew that that was coming in. Uh, it was uh, Gatrog. He uh, yep. he was in there calling. He was talking about the Skaven. I like this. It was the first time I got a glimpse into a Nurgle view of Clan Pestilence. Because, you know, they worship Nurgle as well. Uh, poor brutes to be enslaved is so, fo- uh, so is a foul fate. And one I'll not wish on my worst enemy. The rat can have no understanding of honor or the beauty of despair, and they twist Nurgle's blessing to their own duplicitous ends. It's like, oh, wow. This is the guy who, hey, you get all the cool things that Papa Nurgle does for us, but you don't do any of the stuff you're supposed to do to, to use it right and to earn it. It's like, oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's how the Nurgle, that's how at least some people in Nurgle's realm see the Skaven. Because we knew that they are sort of like, yeah, okay, the horned rat ascended to, you know, the fifth god seat, but it's still, it's like a little chair, you know? Mm-hmm. It's really tiny. Nobody really thinks you're at the table quite yet, um, but we see you're coming over here, so got to do something, but that's where it's at. Um, so they got to get to this, uh, the hopeless city. And this is what the Skaven place is, is cutting them to. Uh, Skaven basically dug this tunnel around there, found the gate, because they were trying to get in and out without paying all the taxes or having to bribe as many people. Mm-hmm. And they used the Gargans to help them do it. Yep. <laughs> and it's essentially become a rat nest is what it is. Yeah. And they're going right through it. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, <laughs> meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice... Um, yeah, they have a quick little cuck that to a fight scene of the at the gate of weeds on the Gyron side, and it's just a quick little fight scene, nothing too much. But they do indicate that they have two days left before yeah. they have to destroy the gate. It's been five days. Yeah, they said they would try. They would said they would hold out at least seven. They'll try to hold out as long as they can, but they said they could do at least seven. Mm-hmm. And here it is five days in and the battles are pretty bad. He actually blows his horn at one point once he gets things kind of under control. And that's enough to banish off the demons and knock the gate to quiet um, at the end of this. Watching them actually blow the horn, you know, the Night Heralder, the description's a lot cooler than then uh you know i mean he does he basically does in this what they do in the in the book um i mean what they do on the game table but uh, this mm-hmm. this way sounds cooler we start describing how the sonic booms and the shaking and stuff it's pretty pretty fantastic um you want to do 17 if we do 17 we've done four and then we can take a break and we do the last four mm-hmm. all right rat yeah. nest this one is it's pretty much a fight scene all the way through. And yes. I imagine, like, Goblin Town from The Hobbit is kind of what they're going through. A bunch of 
they got that Ricky. boat, so I kind of picture him like Willy Wonka in it through the tunnel. It's like Willy Wonka going through Goblin Town. Yeah. Is what I'm imagining. I'm imagining a lot of different bridges over the river and plague monks running across, falling down on them. Just a nonstop a moss, Still a lot of that gross, just gunky stuff hanging down and dripping around. Exactly. Um mm-hmm. And they get inside. It was larger than it had appeared from the outside, as if the space within extended into some other overlapping realm of existence. And I'm like, and I, uh, you know, Skaven can tunnel through the realms. Mm-hmm. It makes sense that the that they got that, you know, their warrens are like mini Tardises. You know, yeah. It's like, wait, what? This is all it is? Nope. We'll go inside. Oh, this is impossibly large. Aha. Mm-hmm. Um. Okay, so. Like you said, this is one long running battle, okay? And there's good stuff going on here. There's a lot of good, uh, you know, hammer and arrow porn going on here. Yeah, and there's still the conversation between Gatrog and Tornus. Uh-huh. And even the Gutrot is still fighting the Skaven, too. Yeah. Because they don't care. <laughs> they're fighting. Yeah, they're, they're a team here. They're fighting to stay alive at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, okay, we, okay. Uh, then the Lord Relictor stood in his customary place at the prow, well, at reliquary staff planted before him. His head was bent, and Tornus felt rather than heard the rumble of his prayers as he tried to lend strength to the oarsmen. Lightning crawled across Morbus's armor and flickered over the deck. The spectral shapes of fallen stormcast knelt in a circle about him, their forms fading or strengthening with each passing moment. Any scaven so foolish as to draw close to the Lord Relictor and his ghostly coterie was immediately struck by flickering strands of chain lightning. This is awesome! Yeah, and the whole purpose is to get them out of there. Well, to get them to Grim. They haven't even turned around yet. This is still the trip to destroy the ring. Yeah. That's the problem with journeys like this, because this is kind of what this is here. They're trying to save Grim or die trying, and they probably will die trying, but at least they're not going to leave him alone. And they're making the impossible quest. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, man, you guys are getting pummeled. But there's some seriously awesome things happening in here that I'm like, oh, why, why can't he do that in the game? Even a small version of it, that would just be cool. It's called Lightning Chariot. Is it? <laughs> Close. Stormcast can't do it. Yeah, they can. The lightning chair. Uh, it's a we? prayer. Oh, but damn, there ain't no the lightning dis- chariot. The description here is substantially different because you have Cadoc at kind of the point of the chains pulling it, and then Morbus is the one enchanting everything to try to lift them out of the water. Right. So, and all of the souls of the dead Stormcast that he's contained in him are helping him. They're so all kneeling around him and praying. That energy. Yep. It's looked, yeah. I can just picture it. it it's so this is so good. Mm-hmm. And it's these little things that really do pick it out. But then, like you said, you get to uh, you get to the scavenger swarming the boat, and uh, Gatog and uh, Torglug or Tordus. I'm sorry, he's calling him Torglug. Um, are still debating as as Tordus is fighting. Um, he actually saves. Gatrog's life because Gatrog's an idiot and calls out to the Skaven being like, hey, I'm on your team. And they look at him and like, oh, look, one that's tied up, an easy kill. Mm-hmm. And so you get that uh, argument. 
Um, they get into a funny argument here, though. Um, they're talking of you know hating Nurgle, and he's like, "Hate's a good garden for your despair to grow." And he's like, "Nothing good grows from hate." And this keep going back and forth. Um, and Gatrog gets up; he gets mad at this. This, this, these debates keep going. Uh, my home flourishes because of Nurgle's kindness. We survive only because our garden pleases him. We despaired, and in our despair, the lady came to us and showed us the truth of the world. And Torn is like, "Whose truth? This is my truth. What is yours?" And Gatrog spits in Tornus's hand. Um, he had the you know the when they hold up their gauntlets, they got that little. The little uh, symbol of what they the, of their job on their gauntlets, mm-hmm. and that's what he does. He holds him up and shows him the the symbol. He's like, "This is my truth. This is what I believe in." Now, what do you believe in? And he spits on it, and then, uh, and he's like, "And I'm still here." He's like, "Look again." This great. He spits on it, and he's like, "Yeah." And your gross, disgusting spit. I'm still me underneath, just like I was when you turned me into Torglug. Mm-hmm. And um, then it was interesting because suddenly Gatrog like starts to respect that he's holds to his convictions like this. Like he sees how similar they actually are. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this, there was a um, and he, he kind of like felt a camaraderie with this guy, and suddenly he felt uncomfortable. And he didn't like that type of stuff. He didn't because he was, he started feeling a little hope in what was going on here. This guy had gotten through. He said he was gonna, you know, he was gonna see if he could be. And you, you see this little bit happening. And then he's like, "Nope, no, I like I like my despair. You know, the worst had come, and he was all the stronger for it. But hope was the weed in grandfather's garden. It always crept back when he least expected it. And I'm like, that's pretty nice. That's nice right there. Mm-hmm. That weed in the garden, that hope. So we've got hope inside Gatrog now. Yep. Which is, uh, we'll see how that turns out. Um, okay. And she's, now they go back to Spume and what's her name is making fun of him. The head yep. is just there mocking him. I'm like, it's nice. He's got Jombie sitting over here. And he keeps Jombie around and all she's doing is taunting him. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and then the boat gets attacked by the vermin lord corruptor that Urslag was talking to. Yep. Rancic or Rankick? Rancic, I believe. I think it's Rancic. Yeah. And he's after Grim 2 to try to learn all the secrets and everything. So he attacks the boat and Grim at this point has made his way up to the deck. Right. To try to fight his way out, still try to do what he needs to do. And Rancic ends up fighting finding him and pinning him up and saying I will take you now and I will strip secrets from your bones as it were. And the entire time Bubonicus is inside of Grimm's head saying, let me win our little battle and I will dispatch this one or we both die. And Grimm still refuses to give in. He still has this ongoing internal dialogue and Rancic is on the verge of taking him and Gutrot saves Grimm, saying, no, this one's mine. But right. by the way, there's a whole boat of them behind me. So how about you go take them and get out of my way? Right. 
So he basically so. sends them all out after the storm cast in the next that are still coming up behind him. Just turns them mm-hmm. all around on him and sends them back. Um, isn't this where the Vermin Lord stabs Gutrot's fume while they were fighting, though? I believe so, and then Gutrot had crunked him in the head with his axe, too. Yep. Yeah, uh, you think Gutrot falls, or Gutrot's fume falls to the ground and every, the whole scene leaves him. And now later on, when it gets really dangerous, he shows back up. And we know he's fine because nothing can die here. Unless he's mm-hmm. pumped, he's going to be fine. So he gets back up, and that's it. He's like, that's it. I'm done. This is mine. Get out of TM. But, I mean, it, it, was, it, able, it was able to stab him. It must be pretty fast because nobody else has been able to take on Spume yet so far. Mm-hmm. All right. So should we take a break before we get to the hopeless city? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so much. Uh, all right. We'll be back, folks. A liberator stood near the rail, mumbling to someone only he could see. Adius caught him by the arm and gently pulled him away, just in case. They'd nearly lost several warriors that way, led into the darkness by ghosts of half-remembered pasts. More and more of them were seeing things that could not be, or hearing the voices of those lost centuries past. Flies crawled over their faces, mold spread across the plates of their armor and the smell of decay hung heavy on the air. And above all, the distant but ever-present rumble of stone grinding against stone. It was wearing him down. Nurgle was patient. Nurgle was slow. And Nurgle was inevitable. The longer they stayed here, the worse it would get. Their faith held firm for now, but soon even it would begin to crack. And as they pressed deeper and deeper, not even the radiance which infused their vessel would protect them. He heard Solus's voice crackle in command and the hiss of bowstrings, the scream of lightning as it ravaged among the enemy. In that roar, he heard the whisper of a god's voice and knew at last what he must do. And we are back, back in the hopeless city. It's hopeless <laughs> here in the city. All hope comes here to die. Yeah. Now, for this part, you get the first part, which is Rancic coming back and fighting the Stormcast. Yes. And it's just more, as it were, hammer porn. Um, and the entire time they're flying and the... Plague monks are on their own little vessels flying around trying to jump on the boat to drown it in rat flesh, as it were. Yeah. So. Uh, gross. And they're trying to figure out what's going on. And turn- Gardas is like, oh, this is a trap. We're being drawn in deeper and deeper. And Tornis looks up and says... It is not a. It is not being a trap. Nurgle is not thinking like that. Nurgle is me- merely reacting. He is slow, yes, slow of thought, slow of deed. Nurgle is being patient. If we are to be coming to him, then he is to be simply laying out a welcome. Of the four, he is being the most content in the moment. What is being will be. So again, like we had talked about earlier, where why doesn't he just take him? 
this is why. Yep. I actually have this underlined here because as I got later in the book, I'm like, oh, okay. I get this a bit better. Mm-hmm. It makes sense. If they're coming right to me, why should I rush? Because if they never make it here, then it doesn't matter. And if they do make it here, I got this. I guess, yeah, what would you care if they tore up the realm a little bit? Like, you just constantly change it anyway, right? Yeah, and it just grows back anyway. Yeah, so it doesn't really matter. Um, oh, and it, and this keeps going also, because after he tells them that, as they're as they're traveling on, a lot of them are starting to succumb to the whispers in their heads. Mm-hmm. The the voices tell them to quit and to give up and you're going to fail and you're going to lose are starting to get to some of them. Um, he's looking around. Gardas is looking around all of this. Says, more and more of them are seeing things that couldn't be or hearing the voices of those lost centuries past. Flies crawled over their faces. Mold spread across the plates of armor and the smell of decay hung heavy in the air. It was wearing them down. Nurgle was patient. Nurgle was slow. And Nurgle was inevitable. The longer they stayed here, the worse it would get. Their blind faith, or their faith held firm for now, but soon even it would begin to crack. And as they pressed deeper and deeper, not even the radiance which suffused the vessel would protect them. So it's starting to sort of pull them apart. Um, But this is when you get the good, this is the big speech. Mm-hmm. We get the cool speech here. You want me to read the speech, or did you have the speech marked? No, you go for it. All right. So he comes over to them, and they're now they've they, you know they've they're fought past the or they're fighting through the all of the Skaven, and they know that he's starting to get away because they need to catch up. So Garters turns around. I've been down this road before. I've passed through this dark garden and into the light. I've denied our foe in his very manse, and I intend to do so again, even if it means my destruction. It's time the play god learned that we're made of sterner stuff than he knows. We were forged in lightning and thunder, clad in starlight and carrying the heat of suns in our veins. Gardas turned, letting his light shine forth. It blazed upward around him, casting back every shadow. It's time we showed him, showed all the ruinous powers, not simply how the Stormcast do battle, but how the faithful wage war. And he sticks his sword down in the deck in front of him and the, the boys all go Yurr, and the ladies all go Yurr. and uh, yeah then suddenly lightning you know he, he went over and he uh, you know grabs the Lord he grabs uh, Lord Relictor's hand and lightning crackles between them um, it makes a chain almost and he tells you know they lift the beacon up and uh, so <laughs> Okay. Okay. This whole part. What did you think of this next coming up part? Before we say what happens here, what did you think of this? I had a hard time wrapping my head around it. I'm glad that it's here. But it was just like, really? I just, I almost was like, why they didn't can you do this? Yeah. You, why didn't you just do this then? Like, this, oh, okay. So he, they, he, they get all their faith uh, riled up. Lord Relictor, boom, claps, piles all this energy into the lantern, and two chains of light come out of the lantern. And he gives one to the Knight Aziris, or both of them to the Knight Aziris, who, would get, who was his lantern, and he got the chains. Now he can pull the boat. And then uh, what happens next? Does Gardas grab the... Yeah, Gardas grabs the chains and he holds, and holds them on, on, and the light's pouring out of him, mm-hmm. and it's helping fuel this. 
because Sigmar doesn't make mistakes, and all this is going on. And I just first I hear them, I hear like I hear that because it said they're chanting and they're banging their the hafts of their hammers on the ground, and I'm just I'm just I'm just hearing Queen. Like, you know, we will rock you into We Are the Champions as this is all sort of billowing out and coming together. And then and then they literally pull an E.T. They just have all their faith and then it glows and then they shoot out of the water into the air. And now they're flying. They're flying. They've got an airship charged by lightning and blue light and faith. And they're flying. They Do you know what they did? This is what I'm hearing. I'm hearing the Mario music for when you eat the when you've got the tail in Mario three so you can fly, mm-hmm. and then or is it the cape, the cape or the tail, whatever? And it's then you, the cape in Mario three. You get the cape and then you get the invincibility or, star. Yeah, no, we are flying a boat over everything. Nothing's getting in our way. We're going through everything. We're not gonna fight this scene. We're just flying through these unbeatable things. And the music's going, and they're flashing all their right colors, and they're just going right over this whole battle. And I'm like, oh, here we go. I was kind of getting tired of this journey. Like, the conversations were interesting, but it was just fight after fight after fight after fight. We lost a few more. We lost a few more. We lost a few more. And they're fun, but I'm like, let's get to this. I'm like, okay, they're going to fly right over everything. We're going to get to the end. And then they get to the end. And they land, and they're like, all right, we made it to the gate. Now on to the next level. And I'm like, why'd you quit flying? Like, oh, I was just like. The, the the one cool thing though is when they do get to the last of the gates, um, the descriptions in some of these places as they start getting deeper and deeper. First of all, some of them are very Cthulhu esque. In fact, I had it marked earlier in the book when uh, they mm-hmm. practically quote uh, Call of Cthulhu when uh, uh, when he's talking to Gatrog. But the uh, streets are made of leprous tissue and buildings crafted from screaming infected bodies. A district built from innumerable square blocks of crimson veined stone, the facets of which were marked with yowling bestial faces. Pleasure palaces of pus raised up from within city-sized wounds. A market full of fleshy tents and inhuman merchants whose strange wares wept and howled. A garden of singing flowers their bulbous blossoms wet with unshed tears. And I'm like, wait, there's merchants and there's a city and there's all the wait, What the heck is going on in this realm? I just like, I can't picture someone trying to just trying to eke out an existence here. Like it's just made up of the essence of his mind, but yeah. And with Nurgle, he's all about like the pomp and I don't know if I would say tomfoolery, but like the formality Mm-hmm. So city building is something that I really expected from him, but in a different way. It's like musty. I was not expecting like pleasure palaces <laughs> filled with pus. I mean, I don't think that was necessarily necessary, but <laughs> it is what it is. And they're still flying over yeah. the city and peering down and they're fighting off hordes of rot flies and plague drones as they're flying over the city trying to catch Gutrot's boat, and they're flying over it, and they're knocking buildings down as the boat goes up and down, and it just kind of goes through and destroys everything, but they're skipping over going through this whole city, because if they have to sit down and grind through, 
the whole city. They would never catch them. Just fly right over everything. You got the invincibility cloak on. You're just going to go right through. Anything that touches you is going to fall. So don't worry about it. Just do it. And they get to the end. And then, oh, and then they catch up to Gut Rod's view and they're shooting arrows at him and he grabs star-faded arrows right out of the sky. Mm-hmm. They're shooting it at him, swoop, grabs it before it hits him. It's like, whoa, wait a minute. God, has got a little bit of Neo in him. He's good. Dude, he really is. Like, he's the master of that boat and nothing takes him on that boat. Um, and then all of a sudden... Below them, something weird happens, and it uh, it almost sounds like Nurgle himself is looking at them. There was a gray expanse stretching out to infinity. They'd breached the last gate of the city and passed through it. The fifth tier of Nurgle's garden awaited them. She felt a tremor go through her, and for a moment, she thought that the emptiness below twisted suddenly into an inhuman countenance, as wide as the realm itself and possessed of a malevolence far beyond the limits of her experience. Eyes like dying sun stared up at her, and she felt her soul shudder in its envelope of flesh and bone. And I'm like, wait, is it Nurgle really looking at them? Because that's kind of what it sounds like. Like, Nurgle just noticed now. Mm-hmm. Boy, what are you guys doing? Okay, I see what you're doing. Now you've had it. That's kind of what it feels like to me. I'm just saying. I'm not saying. I'm just saying. So I guess we'll go on to chapter 19, unless you had something to add. No. And this one is Old Ghosts. And this is that different part of despair where it's been going through and you're being assailed by the ghosts, by your memories, by your failures. And this keeps getting worse the closer and closer they get to desolation. And... They have kind of this pep talk about wanting to get through. We have to go. And we're not doing this for Grimm. This is... Morbus has a sentence where he's... Or a thing where he says... No, if not if we move and soon we must get to desolation. And Gardas is still about trying to find Grimm. Morbus says, no, not Grim. It's the desolation that we must go. That is what this has all been about, Gardas. This is why we have journeyed so far. Kadok is a fool, but he is right about one thing. We are Sigmar's weapon, and we must find his enemy's heart. Whatever the cost, whatever the consequences, we must reach desolation, or all of this was for nothing. So Morbus is seeing things differently than Gardas is. Gardas is thinking this is a rescue mission. Morbus has suddenly come to the understanding that there is another reason that they're doing this. Yes. And this is kind of where I went. Okay. So they're branching off of Dante's Inferno a little bit. Are you on page 261 by any chance? Is that where you're at right now? I'm at 266. Okay. All right. So I'm, let me, let me, let me hold us up just a little bit here before we keep going further. We get another one of these discussions between Gardas and him and, uh, Another interesting bit of Stormcast philosophy, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Gardner said he heard a voice telling him that he had to do this whatever the cost. Uh, and then he holds up, and the light that's coming out of his body, you know, the stuff that's healing things, he says, I am like Caddick's beacon, a tool of judgment. 
Uh, the souls here cower back from me. The vegetation withers. And to what end? And Morbus goes, it's Sigmar's end. This war of ours is not waged solely with rune blades and hammers. And there are battlefields less tangible than even this place. The ruinous powers forced Sigmar back, broke his great peace, and shattered his allies. Thus, we were forged. Symbols and swords in one were the sound of the hammer beating the world into shape. We purged the land, raised walls. Where we stand, other orders hold tr- uh, order holds true, and chaos is cast back. And Gardas nodded, and then and then he adds in, "We're also a message, a challenge, cast into the teeth of the foe. We stand here now, battered and weary as we are, is a sign of Sigmar's contempt for his enemies and a warning as to his intentions." And I'm like, "That is awesome." That's who the Stormcast are. If anyone asks you why you like to play Stormcast or who those guys are or what they are, that's what they are right there. They're literally, they are a sign of Sigmar's contempt for his enemies. And I'm like, oh, I really like that a lot. Like parts of this you get going through and you're slogging through and you're reading your bits and then you get those little gems in there. I love that. Um, I also like that they can't reach, you know, they can't reach desolation until they surrender to despair. It's a trap. They're locked out of that place by their just their very being. They can't get in on their own, you know. So I'm sorry. I just wanted to sidetrack with that because I thought that was fantastic. No, it's good. It's good. And then they're going through and we come back to Tornus and Gatrog is still talking to him. And Gatrog sentences that there's something going on with Tornus. His ghost is not just, like, the failures and everything. His ghost is Torglug. Yes. And he's feeling something crawl up inside of him. And he's trying to deny it, saying, this is not who I am. This is not being me. And he can still feel it. And... This one, I I found it kind of cheesy that they did this part, but it kind of made sense. And we'll just go through this and you'll understand in a minute. The ghostly screams of the Everdon tribe rose into a keening wail. Added to their number were the bellowing voices of the Viridian ogres and the rasping hiss of the Sylvaneth. A thousand thousand souls crying out as one. The names rolled over him. Tree Cutter. Gut Spiller. The Despised One. The Woodsman of Nurgle. Torglug, Torglug, Torglug. And there's a Beetlejuice moment where Tornus throws up and out of the puddle emerges Torglug. Yes. He was still in there despite being cleansed, despite the anvil. He was still somewhere in Tornus. There was a little moat of him still there and that's what and that's what that's what uh, Gatrog recognized in him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so now he now Negatornis. Now he's fighting against. He's got to fight his evil self. But this one, I think, is a little more interesting than the other ones because the other one, you know, he's not able to get rid of. Um, you know, Grim uh, can't get rid of the guy in him, and here he kind of does it. Now he's got to. Now he's got to take him on again. Mm-hmm. But it's not, I was reforged by Sigmar. This is, I have to do it myself. And obviously, right. he still has all of his friends around him. 
So he's not doing it entirely by himself, but now he's doing it. But he has to face his demon is what it is. He has to yep. fight what he used to be. And Torglug starts talking about, I am better than this. You are not but a shell to be cast aside. And there's this massive fight scene where everyone is just trying to be done with Torglug. And no one can get a grip on this guy. And Gatrog ends up getting in the way as he's trying to kill Gardas. Yep. And he says, I am doing what I have to do because I swore an oath. An oath. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> an oath. And Gorel and uh, Torgalug are, you swore an oath to Nurgle, to Nurgle first, but that is not his way. He is a knight. He is honor. And where is it? There it is. Um, in the songs of Onagal, when did the knights of old ever shy away from a contest of arms or the truth of despair? But this is not such a contest. It is deceitful, a trick unworthy of us, unworthy of the king of all flies. The beauty of despair does not need to mask itself in falsehood. Yeah. Yeah, I have that mark too because it yeah, it, it comes out it's, you know you, this isn't no, this isn't what we're doing. And all the all of them are there just mocking him for just standing up for what's actually right. Mhm. It's pretty good here. Oh, it looks like looks like there's something good left in him after all. Um and then we get back to Grim. And uh, guess what? Got Rod Spume is still trying to break him down as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it basically goes on and on. He starts to taunt Spume, trying to get Spume to kill him. Because Spume is trying to break him and bring him there. He's like, I didn't picture you for a slave. And Bubonicus is like, don't call him names on his own boat. You've seen what he's done to people on his own boat. And he's like, "I no, I, you know what? Kill me then. I'm not giving in to you, and I'm not giving in to this. Um, but Spume doesn't fall for the obvious, the obvious taunts. He beats him up a bit, but doesn't, uh, doesn't do enough to... to Actually hurt place. him or kill him. Yeah. Um... But these last two pages on this chapter, okay, right here, chapter uh, chapter nineteen that we're reading right now, mm-hmm. um, these last two pages are great. This is the final battle being fought for Grimm's soul right here, and it's a great way to bring us up to the ending, um, because he is trying to get Spume to kill him, and Bubonicus is like, "No, I'm not going to let you do this," and he's like, "You can't stop me." And basically, they're at this stalemate where he can't get Bubonicus out, but Bubonicus cannot break his faith and break his will and take over his body from him. And he's like, nope, this is what I'm doing. I'm going to keep fighting until you guys kill me. I'm not giving it. I'm not giving in. Um, I don't care if it's not a it's not a good death. It's it's still it's in, you know, the, it's the best outcome right in this way. And when 
he tells, Bubonicus tells him he has no honor. He's like, honor is the privilege of good men. You boast of having seen my memories, maggot. Tell me, am I a good man? And then there's that pause. He's like, there's honor in such a death, I suppose. I'm tired. I have fought for the king of flies for centuries. I've waged a thousand wars in a thousand kingdoms and died a thousand times. But every cycle reaches its end. If this be my final batter, let it be a glorious one. Lay on, friend, and damned be he who cries hold. And uh, they're fi- he's like, you know what? Okay, I got you. We're going to fight for your, we're fighting for this body right now. You're not giving in, and I can't give, you know, I, I'm not letting you throw me out, and you're not giving in, so we go at it. And it's this final battle. Can he hold mm-hmm. off the despair literally on the inside and the outside? Tornasus is literally on the outside. <laughs> the outside. He literally got pulled out of him in this realm, and now is going after him. But um, I really, I'm like, oh, this end of this chapter. Okay, here we go. Now it's picking up. Now I want to see what happens. And um, chapter 20, Misericordia. Mm-hmm. And this is where Tornus gets to t- gets to check out Torglug. Yeah. Yep. This is where um, Tor- where Gatrog actually jumps in front to save Tornus, who then proceeds to... He's upset because he wanted to redeem himself. And he was hoping he would... I think he was hoping he would be able to have him transformed into a Stormcast to prove himself right, that there was something yep. good, and then to have it be a reminder that, yes, I'm not alone. There are other people that can do this. It's not just me. But Gatrog throws himself in front to save him, and then Tornus ends up grabbing Gardas's rune blade that had gotten knocked away in the fight, and he spits Torglug, and... There it is. Um, Torglug is clawing at Tornus's helm and with charred fingers, and he's feeling like the light float out from the sword. He says, no, not again. And Tornus is yes and forevermore, twisting the blade, blah, blah, blah. Go back to the filth that has being spawned you, and he dissipates from the world and into oblivion. So Tornus is the one that delivers the death blow, delivers the final blow to the monster that he used to be forever redeeming himself yes. not just having Sigmar redeem him yep and uh, this is where Gatrog because uh, he stands up for he actually stands up for Tornus and them um, and stands up to uh, Torglug and he gets pounded on it for it of course mm-hmm. and uh you know, uh, he says, I swore an oath to thee, and so I did. That not being the reason, maybe not. Maybe I simply saw a chance to pay my debt. I am a true knight, Torglug. That's all I've ever wished to be. And then he dies. Died protecting, standing up for what he had, his promise for his honor. Um. And then he's like, he didn't think he understood. And then he sees, and then it says, uh, something Gardas had said came back to him. Mercy was the sharpest blade there was. For every deed, there was a seed that remained. His grip on Gardas' blade tightened. For perhaps the first time he truly understood those words, he felt a hand on his shoulder and he turned. And that's when Gardas is there to talk to him. Um, 
asking, you know, and then you know, did he did he do it? Was he redeemed? He's like, I think in his way he was, but not mm-hmm. like you were. But there was still something there. It was, you know, something he took away from it. First, he kills the evil himself, and then the guy he's been arguing with finds his redemption. They both find their redemption here in different ways. Mm-hmm. It's a nice, it's a nice wrap up to that bit of the story. You know yep. what I mean? Um, and then they're doing well, and they're rushing down, and they're trying to get there, and they scream uh, for the faithful, for the faithful. For the faith, only the faithful, only the faithful, only the faithful, only the faithful. Uh, and then what have we got? We got Gut Rot's fume left, don't we? Yep. And he's still trying to get where he's going. What happens here next? Remind me. So he arrives at where he was going, and he gets to the city of Desolation, and he. Or it's not the city of desolation. It's the inevitable citadel. Right. Is where he ends up. And it's guarded by two warriors of the Rot Guard. And this is where they've been trying to get to. And there's a good description of how. What this place looks like. And Gut Rot drags out. Gart or Grim. And he's like. He should see this, so we can see exactly what he's here for. And he even says to him, Welcome to the inevitable Citadel, shiny skin. It will be the last place you ever see. Yep. And where is it? I had it. I had another <laughs> part marked here. This is why I write right in my book. I know. It's all good. So he... This is where Grimm decides to try to make his last stand against Gut Rot. And Gut Rot knows that he can't kill him. And they start to try to beat down on Grimm to break him. He can feel the plague bearer that keeps the oarsmen busy by whipping them. He's trying to break him down. And Bubonicus is saying, I can help you. I will lend my sword to your cause. This is not defeating you. Let let go. Let me take over and I can beat these guys. He's still pitching that. Mm -hmm. And Grimm is still like, no, not happening. Yeah, this reminds me a lot of the Malice Darkblade Zarkan dynamic between the two of them. Because Malice obviously doesn't want to give control over to Zarkan. But it's the same thing with Grimm. He's trying to endure what no one else can endure. Exactly. Because he is the faithful. And and Bubonicus just straight up asking me, he's like, why? And he's like, because I got my faith. I can't do what you're asking me to do. I will never do what you're asking me to do. You want to keep fighting me, that's fine. But I'm never, ever, ever giving in. I'll let them kill me first. Mm-hmm. And finally, Bubonicus gives up and gives him his, bo- his control back. Yeah. And he even tells him how to hurt Spume, yes. which is to... Punch the Kraken, because that's where he's at his weakest. Yes. Because it's all exposed. Tells him to go after the Kraken tentacle part, but it's like, yeah, I can't, def- I can't, you know, he tells him, I can't defeat you, so he concedes and says, I, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll lend you my sword instead of trying to fight you, because I, can, I can't ever beat you. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so good. And he yeah. breaks Spume's back. 
He knocks him down. He chases him around, knocks him on his knees, grabs the chains that he had wrapped, uh, that he was being held up by that he broke. And he's got him, and he twisted the chains, tightening the improvised noose. Uh, Spume's trying to free himself. Uh, Grim drove his knee into Spume's back. Something snapped, and Spume gurgled. He flopped forward, yanking the chains from Grim's grip. He writhed on the deck like a dying fish, slobbering curses. Before Plague Bears could react, Grim was among them. Dude, he broke his back and just left him there flopping. It's very Bane Batman-esque, isn't it? (laughs) But then Father Decay shows up. Who is the second lieutenant, essentially, to uh, Nurgle. Yeah, the hand of Nurgle. It's like, uh uh-oh. And, and it's uh, this massive, great, unclean one on top of a palanquin, which we've not like. We had that with Kugoth Plague Father back but in not the day. A great unclean one. He was a great unclean one. Kugoth oh, was he? Okay. Yeah, he was the, rotor, the one that we didn't have a model for that rode around on a palanquin of nerglings, and he was the one that threw him. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. But this one is. Immense, massive, easily like an exalted, great, unclean one, if not bigger. Of this is the guy. This is the number two to Nurgle, and he realizes that Bubonicus is inside of Grim, and Father Decay is like, "Is that the maggot of chivalry I hear? The oh, champion right. of worms scribbling about in my prize." And he ends up exercising Bubonicus out of Grimm. Yes. And then he gets this really... In- okay, here's another interesting take of Nurgle on the Stormcast. And I don't know if this is just Nurgle or... Because being being Father Decay, he's you know kind of privy to more stuff than just your average dude. Um you know, this this is the type of guy who's an ambassador, a guy who talks to you know who's heard met the other gods as well. And he looks at me. You're a riddle without an answer, a soul plucked from the grasp of its rightful owners by a thief and a coward. You're a poison cup, a prize to be claimed but fatal to possess. I'm like, oh, that's a really interesting sort of way to describe them. I like how they call uh, Sigmar a thief and a coward. Because he's got some spell that steals the stoles from Nagash without actually going there to get him himself. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, look at him. They're calling him out. But that's pretty much where we get to almost to the end. And then he gets, he gets uh, Spume gets his final offer, doesn't he? Because he's still not dead. Of course he isn't. Well, no. He Why br- would he? He brought him the prize and... Uh, much like the end of the Cannonball Run. No, not the Cannonball Run. Smoking the Bandit. Sorry. Much mm-hmm. like the end of Smoking the Bandit. Uh, Father Decay looks at him and says, oh, you want your reward now? And he's like, yep. And uh, then he tells him, I'll tell you what. I'll give you a real reward if you go and grab those other guys that are following you. Go get them, you know, take them down and drag, get them in here with this so we can get all of them. Then you'll get a huge reward. Mm-hmm. I says he says to him, "I shall reward you more handsomely than even you can conceive." And then as he leaves, he goes, "So say ye, demon, but fair warning, I can conceive of a great deal indeed." 
And so, of course, <laughs> the reward would be even more wealth than you can imagine. I don't know. I can imagine quite a bit. You'll get it. I better. I got a little Star Wars thing right in there. Mm-hmm. And now here we are. Chapter 21, The Inevitable Citadel. And the only slightly less visited, Evitable Citadel. Boo. Sorry. No, you're not sorry. <laughs> not for that one. <laughs> not at all. All right, so they're still on the boat, and they're heading to the Citadel, and it's sapphire light. Not even white lightning. They got sapphire, that baby blue in the lightning. Mm-hmm. The real cartoony, over-the-top super lightning going on here. Yeah, and it's zapping off the boat, and that's what's propelling them now, is that the yeah. lightning is essentially walking them across and destroying everything that it touches. So Their it's faith kind is of carrying them right to the end. Absolutely. So it, they keep going, and they get to the inevitable citadel, and... Where is it? There we go. Sorry, I lost my train of thought. All right. So they get to the inevitable citadel and they confront Lord Decay or Father Decay, I should say. And he refers to Gardas as Garadan, yep. which is his human name before he was elevated. Now, how he 100% knows that, I think, is because he's tackled with Nurgle before. Yeah, I think they picked that out of his brain. I think they picked that through his brain, too, at when he was running through the first time. With all yeah. the ghosts and stuff, it's not like they didn't know what was being said there. Mm-hmm. Um, little quick little side note, though. Uh, before they got there, don't forget, Gutrot Spume did attack them because he got sent on that job right, in right. the last chapter. Uh, he attacked them and failed miserably. Like, even as a tough guy and even beating the heck out of people, eventually, when he wasn't ready for it, um, he took a star-faded arrow through one of the tentacles and got pegged, nailed to a wall. Literally impaled onto a wall. And then about four more arrows held him in place to, to, to wither and, 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 uh, and suffer while they moved on along. But I'm just throwing that out there in case you th- wonder where he disappeared to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, he... Now you got the we great run, unclean ones coming. Two of them. Yeah. To the immense rock guard, heavy armor. And these are like the elite of the elite for the Nurgle demons. Exalted and, demons, greater exalted, whatever you want to call it. These guys are the bad, baddest of the bad as far as great unclean ones go. Yeah. And there's two of them. And then Papa De- or Lord Decay as well. But it's not like seven like it was the last time. Yeah. Pharos actually says that. Hey. Seven was a bit many, even for us. Two is not so bad. It's like... <laughs> mm-hmm. He's got a bit of a gallows humor, but, you know. You know, I start to wonder, though, man. They've killed, like, four or five, it seems like, already in this story. Or at least a couple. Like, they mm-hmm. get by them a lot. Like, are they just not as awesome as I thought they were? Or are they not as scary? Or is it just for no. the book purpose? Gut rot. Spume kills one on his own. These guys kill a couple. Like, they're just... Maybe, I don't know. It seems weird. They're so easily yeah, stopped. They do squish a lot easier in the book versus uh, real gameplay. But in any event, uh, so Garadan has this conversation with Father Decay, who goes through the long pomp and circumstance that Nurgle is notorious for 
the old fineries. He's even got a monocle. Yes, so he does. It's not quite Monopoly Man, but it's pretty bad. Now, they do um, stop the other two great unclean ones. Those guys attack. You get some nice stuff here. They start. Rick, they, they both have shields and, and armor, so it's harder to, mm-hmm. to peg them. So the one guy ricochets it off the first one's armor to nail the second one. You know, behind, sort of behind his defenses by ricocheting it off the first guy's defenses. I'm like, oh, that's okay. And then if Gardas can't do it, get the great unclean one aggravated enough to swing at you and then go run on to the other great unclean one. Because mm-hmm. they're not careful. You <laughs> know. Because he literally does pulp his friend. Mm-hmm. I mean, the one smashes the other. It's like, oh, okay. And then. Uh, then to f- then go back to the first one who's swinging at you and distract him while your friend shoots him in the brain. Mm-hmm. Then we get to finally. I mean, this is all happening, and then you get the long speechifying. Yeah, from Father Lord Decay. Decay or yeah. Father Decay. Um, so he goes through this long pompous circumstance how he's wanted to meet the one that ran Bolthrax, Bolothrax to his doom, banished Pupa Grotes. So those are the two greater demons from the Rome Gate Wars series exactly. that Gardas interacts with. So he is having this conversation with him, and Gardas starts to pray. And he doesn't say anything to him, and he's just standing there taking in whatever this guy is saying, like wallowing in his inevitable victory. And Tornus steps up, and he's got an arrow cocked in the bow, ready to go. And <laughs> he says, he is having nothing to say to you, monster, but I am. And who might you be? Father Decay grumbled, all trace of its former good humor gone. I do not wish to waste words on some little soul. Wait, and he sniffs. You smell familiar. He says, we are meeting once in another life, lifting the bow. Father Decay squints, and what is that? It is being the weed in Nurgle's garden, and he shoots him in the eye with a star-faded arrow right through they the monocle. They need glasses? Oh, the monocle didn't work. See, they need better defense. They need Eyeballs, safety glasses. And they need, they need thick, heavy, spiked cuffs or, yeah. so that people can't just run right up their arms. And that's exactly what happens next. Cardis <laughs> jumps down, lands on his arm, runs up, and stabs him in the other eye and starts cutting his face open. Every time. Every time. Don't leave your arm down with your weapon out. They will run up it. Like, I've learned this, and I've only been into this for a decade. These guys have been around for a thousand years. Figure it out. Mm-hmm. And then Father Decay starts whining like a baby. It's not fair. That's not how the game is played. Um, this is our place of power. And Garner's like, this is never a game. It never was a game. You're a cheater. You're a cheater. You're with a, from a cheating god, a thief and a usurper. And then it keeps crying and whining while they're beating it to death. And then finally mm-hmm. it just starts calling out for, for Nurgle to help him, which it doesn't. He uh, basically Gardas is like, yeah, call for help all you want. I've been through here once before. I'm going to burn this place to the ground. And 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 then smashes him in the head with a big lightning bolt hammer. Mm-hmm. Awesome! Yep. And then something happens that 
I wasn't expecting. No kidding. Yeah. Okay, so this is the point where I'm like, okay, how do they get home? They've got Gardas. They've got ten pages left, or they got Grim. What are they going to yep. do? This. This is dumb. Like, <laughs> it's not dumb, but it's Nurgle shows up. Remember, I kept asking, <laughs> how come Nurgle doesn't do something about this? Well, now at this point, he's got to step in. They're in. They're on his porch, at his mm-hmm. house, and they just killed all of his minions. Yeah, I mean, there's still more coming, but it's still you're on the doorstep to the garden itself. Took down three great unclean ones. Who else? Who else are they sending at this point? That's really that you're worried about, you yeah. know? So. You want to read this part, or I'm—I I have it marked because this is like Where Cthulhu you, Nurgle right here on page three hundred nine. Oh yeah, that's oh. a good one. So all of this stuff, like everything, it's like a, it's like an earthquake happening, and they're looking, and they're in this mm-hmm. place, and they look down, and there's like in this pit. You see down in this pit, it's like you can see all like you can see the expanses of space and all this stuff and stuff's moving in it. Uh, and he looks down and he almost immediately he closes his eyes and turns away, unable to bear it. So Gardas looked at it for a moment and turned away instantly. He just couldn't keep looking at it. It hurt him to look at it after just a moment. But those things are still indelibly burned into his brain. Seriously, this reminds you of when the people see Cthulhu. Mm-hmm. Okay, it was impossible to describe, impossible to comprehend. To his eyes, it was a wallowing swamp of black stars and dying worlds, of rotting galaxies alive with immerse, uh, alive with immense writhing shapes as large as nebulas, cosmic maggots gnawing at the roots of infinity, galactic plagues eating away at the very flesh of existence, reducing all that was to leprous ruin in their un- unending hunger. It was a dark mirror of Azir, corrupted, reduced, strangled. All glory vanished, all hope quashed. A thunder of screams echoed upward, driving him back. A million, million voices raised up in anguish and despair, forever crying out for that which would never come. And then it shakes again, and he starts, he's like, oh my goodness, and he starts hearing all the people that he helped before. Mm-hmm. And the ones that he failed before. Yep. And the voices keep coming at him. And then you get this next last. And this, I think this is the last passage I have marked for reading here. Down below, something began to crawl out of the black heart of that cancerous infinity. It was no shape and all shapes. Fat and thin, a plume of spo- smoke, a puddle of oil spreading ever upwards. There were eyes in the smoke, as round as cold, dead suns, and teeth that stretched in a grin as wide as the horizon. Fingers like comets clutched at the void as the Lord of all things stirred from his manse and began the long, arduous climb to his garden. Moons crumbled beneath that impossible bulk, and stars were snuffed out. And now <laughs> so now they're all standing around going, Nurgle himself is coming for us. And I've never seen this happen. In any books mm. I've read of any 40K or or fantasy or AOS, I've never seen the actual god of chaos show up in a story to take care of it himself. It might have happened with the birth of Slanesh in the 40K universe, but 
still, this is uncharted territory for the most part. Yeah, I mean, I remember reading on the corn book where corn got where corn gets so mad sometimes he would like take a swing and and change continents with mm-hmm. an attack. But like this amount of detail, this this amount of presence of the actual thing being there, I'm like, what? Yep. That's a weird noise to make, but I made it. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> um, so Gardas thinks that Nurgle is coming for him because he escaped once and he wasn't going to let him escape again. And Morbus gets in front of him and says, no, this is mine. And all, the entire time, Morbus is carrying all of the souls of the Hallowed Knights that came with them that died. Right. So he's bearing all this immense weight, and then he suddenly realizes, this is what I was made for. And he says to Grim, or to Gardas, you are the sword, Grim is the shield, but I am become the hammer stroke, which puts an end to the conflict. And he starts laughing. And he realizes this is why we're here. We are here to settle a question of, that's like a millennia old. And Morbus leaps into the pit, going straight down into Nurgle. And it says right here, he fell into the black, a shining comet of azure. The rising presence caught, paused in its ascent. Something that might have been a hand miles across and as wide as the universe reached up to intercept the light, fingers closed, the light was gone, snuffed. Nurgle screamed. So, the amount of damage to make a god-like figure, well, a god figure, scream out in pain or shock or anguish has to be substantial. And what you see is this massive column of fire and heat spearing black, spearing upwards through the black. And it's all of these souls being released, rising up to the forges of Azir, and the amount of damage that it's doing to him. Yeah, here's the. This is where it gets crazy. So he hits Nurgle, he wounds him, and somehow, in Nurgle's pain, he's no longer keeping the souls locked in. Mm-hmm. So it's not just, it's not just Morbus and the Stormcast he brought with him. It's like any souls around there who are trapped and want out, who are there not because they gave themselves to to Nurgle, but because they were captured, they start pouring out too. Mm-hmm. That's that's kind of huge. This is this this is a thing. Sigmar's guys came in and hurt one of the gods. Yeah, and basically released a whole bunch of his stuff out and and st- stole from him for lack of a better mm-hmm. phrase. Um, this is crazy. Like, yeah. I was reading this going, you got to be kidding me. And this is how they get out. They get out by by literally punching Nurgle in the face, and actually he gets hurt. Yeah. And it's releasing the light, and it's not... They're not trying to kill a god. Is not what they're trying to do. It's to sow fear that we can do this to you. And we will do it again. Yep, exactly. And it's really cool. I mm-hmm. mean, it really suddenly, 
like the payoff, like I was I wasn't getting it. Like I was like, where is it? And all of a sudden, this I was like, <gasps> like this made all the parts like where I was like when they were flying through the town, and I was like, come on, is it was the book over yet? Like I was like, oh, I'm glad I stuck to the end for this because this was fantastic. Oh yeah, and then they all get out of the garden as they're getting ready to destroy the realm gate, and you have the rest of the cast characters that we met. Beast Bane shows up, uh, Cassandora shows up, and it's like, well, we were coming here to help. It's like, well, that's great. You're you're late. <laughs> um, yeah, and then uh, and then you get even Sigmar's voice coming in here at the end. You know, mm-hmm. th- you know, basically making sure he knows he did a good job in his own way. Uh, and then you got chapter 22, which is basically back with Karunta and Angston and all those guys. And it's it's getting out of hand. Those demons are pouring out at this point. They're like, we've got to smash this thing. We've got to close it. And they're holding out for as long as they can. They're like, they're giving them every last possible second. But now they're running the risk of not being able to shut it. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, and of course, they're about to shut it, and then the water starts to. You see a little flash of light in the water, and they're getting ready to do it. Um, <laughs> like the light grows, and then they see the shapes coming through, and it's the Lord Relictor, his soul. It's more powerful than any of us ever imagined. Garda said, and I'm just just like Obi Wan Kenobi. Yeah. He was struck down, and now he is more powerful than you could possibly imagine. He carried us all out of the garden, and he did. He didn't just carry the people that he was carrying. He carried all those dead souls, and he carried out the remaining Stormcast. His mm-hmm. sacrifice brought them all there. Um, And then, of course, you get everybody's together, and they're all happy, and the gate's closed. They come through, and the gate gets shut. The gate is a dead thing. Oh, and then um, Gardas gets to meet uh, Yare again, the blind philosopher. And he goes over to him and he says, you asked me a question. Do you remember? He goes, of course I remember. I'm blind, not forgetful. And he goes, you asked if I was tell- if I spoke the truth, you know, because he said, you know, we'll protect you. He goes, big words, but how can I know it's the truth? Um, and he says, uh Will you, will you answer my question now? He goes, no, because I don't know the future. All I can say is this. While I stand, I will do my best to protect your people from the storms to come. I swore an oath many years ago to see that no harm befell those in my care, and I will uphold it unto death and beyond. And he tells him that that's an echo of the truth and the truth itself. You know. Um, yeah, and then you get basically... You know, their the, the little wrap-up. Mm-hmm. And naturally it ends with only the faithful. Three of them. Yeah. There's a and the last there. one in italics. Just for the emphasis. Yeah, a cry that would echo through the mortal realms now and forevermore. Only the faithful. Only the faithful. Only the faithful. So that's their, that's that's our book. And it took a long Thanks. time to get through it, and we probably could have streamlined it a little bit better. Um, yeah. Uh, I would say two things, um, and as we're going to do some more of these, we've done we've done better and we've done worse with these. If you go back to that very first 
end times book Nagash, I think it took us three episodes and eight hours to cover it. So it's like we've learned to keep things a little more on the ball. But um, there's a lot of themes in this book. Yeah, there there are. Um, this is this book hit me a lot harder than I thought it was going to because a lot of the black library fiction is not always like it's sword and sandal hammer porn, whatever. Yep. This book is different. Um, and I don't know if Josh is going to get the credit that he really deserves for this book. Um, I know everyone rants and raves about it and they should. It's a fantastic read, and if you can get it, buy it, read it, love it. But showing these differences in philosophy from two—I mean, I don't—I guess you would say Nurgle's followers are the most devout, maybe. Like at least in their realm, they like they just love him so much. Mm-hmm. And Sigmar's followers are the same way. So to take these two and not only pit them against each other, but mix them up to the point where they're looking at each and getting their thoughts and their, their feelings and their emotions and actually some, some dialogue between them, whether it's internal between two, you know, you and your enemy who's stuck on the inside, internal you and yourself with Tornus and Torglug, mm-hmm. or external with these guys having, even I mean, even outside with the, you know, and I think what gets missed is the Stormcast debating with Yare with the humans. And talking mm-hmm. about purpose and, and what you do and all this stuff. And we didn't delve too deeply into that. And I think that kind of gets buried under all of the the dichotomy between despair and hope. But that despair mm-hmm. and hope is really battered. And, I mean, if you're used to the, these types of movies and these types of things where you get you're like your brave heart and your guys where you're... Your lead man could could be very comfortable and, and, and die comfortably and quietly if he would only just give in, except he never can give in. Mm-hmm. And then you get this sort of thing where neither side is willing to give in. They're both all about their their Lord and their what they're doing. Um, and like I said, I know it was rocking you pretty hard. I thought you were actually kind of, I thought you were ill or something like that. And it turns out this was just, uh, this was just rough to sit and talk about. Yeah, um, for those that, and I'm comfortable saying this, so don't cut this out. Um, I've been battling depression um, on and off since I was in the fifth grade. Um, And at the time that this book first came out, I was in a much better place just with things in general. And seasonal affective is a thing where people's moods get worse as the days get darker. I actually have that. Um, yeah. yeah. And I'm not just saying that. I actually, I've been diagnosed with seasonal affective disorder. And uh, when I was in my teens, I, I I suffer from manic depression, which anyone who listens to this show could probably tell. But I do. I have those. Those are the two things that I deal with. So I understand exactly what you're talking about, especially yeah. seasonal affective. It's been a bad month for, for, for me, too. I know. Yeah. I know what, exactly what you mean. And it's poignant. I mean, I also look at from my lens with my own personal history with mental illness and the concept of wanting to give up and not wanting to do anything that falling into the stagnation. I, I can't do that anymore. Um, it doesn't put me in a very good place. And even when AOS came out, 
I was on my second stint of unemployment. I was not in a happy place. And anyone that knew me before AOS knows that I was not always the most positive guy to be around. <laughs> no, I'll fully own that. And it was a while. I like That was who I was. I was the grumpy guy. And I have tried so damn hard to turn my attitude around for me as a person. So this way I don't end up back there. And I think that's why I don't personally dwell on the things that could be done better or things that aren't up to standards of others. I mean, I just, for me, it's just, I have to be positive for me, not because of something else. This is, I need to do this for myself and not get back into that pit. I hear you. It's, if you've not been through it, you can certainly understand it because chances are you know somebody who has. And reading this book, it's not just one man's struggle dealing with it. I mean, like, Tornus is obviously the one that struggles with it the most, but even then he can't do everything on his own. So if you have friends that are going through this or you're concerned about them, reach out, talk to them, and with the amount of people that we have lost um, to suicide or to whatever else. this It's on all of us, folks. It's not just on one person or one group of people. We all have to watch out for each other. So that's the public safety announcement. That's just take care of yourselves, folks. That's and everyone else. That's what we have to do. So, yep. I'm going to start tearing up if we don't call this thing soon. But, All right. Um, well, then why don't I just go and be the materialistic weasel of the bunch and start wrapping things up and thanking people? Yeah, that's a good idea. And thank you, Alex, because I didn't realize you were having such a – I mean, honestly, I thought you – you mean, you said you had – you were having bathroom issues when we first hooked up on the beginning of the show. I just figured you weren't feeling well and uh, didn't realize it was affecting you that much. I would have I would have either cut it quick or, or done something, but – um I appreciate you no, getting through it and talking yeah, about this. It. This was important enough to talk about, not just from the gaming universe, um, but also just from real stuff. Yep. So, I mean, there's been a lot of real stuff, and going through this has taken a lot longer than we had planned, folks. But <laughs> so when you listen to this, late, I, I was working, and then we had to record this over three separate get-togethers because of timing and stuff. So. Yeah, and understand, folks, that this took a lot out of this took a lot out of you. Yeah, and it's a very good read. So don't think I'm trying to be Debbie Downer about this book, because um, it is probably one of the best books that Black Library has produced. Um, and Josh deserves a world of credit for what he did. And I don't even know if he intentionally tackled all the stuff that could be translated to mental illness, but God bless him. It's a good yep. man. All right, so that's it for episode 180, um, Plague Garden. We will be back. Uh, we got our Thanksgiving episode coming up. We've got uh, two more episodes before. Well, obviously, well, there's two more episodes, and then there's the Christmas episode, which is traditionally the year-in-review wrap-up, so I'm looking forward to that. Uh, we got a lot coming up in the next uh, month, month and a half. Um uh, 
probably a book, a little bit of hobby, maybe another piece of black library work. So there's so much to do still. Nothing's been coming out in the past month except for like the board game stuff. But now we're actually doing all the catch up stuff that we missed. Yeah. And I think we're going to have a book review next. Yeah. I think so. Are we doing that? So we are doing that then? We can make it work. Excellent. We'll make it work quick, quick. Right, right? Yes, yes. All right. All right. And, hey, folks, uh, speaking of uh, episodes, please uh, don't forget to check out After Olinor on uh, the Free Buddha's Network. Greg and I are doing that Horace Heresy book club thing still. Uh, we were recording part one of A Thousand Suns shortly. It should be up, um, should be up hopefully by things around Thanksgiving. So we'll get A Thousand Suns started. Oh, that book is so good. Uh, and also, please remember to check out our Patreon page. I want to thank uh, the newest patrons again. Uh, Jesse Perkins, Michael Westendorf, and Stuart Slow. 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 Slate. I'm mangling your name. I apologize. But thank you for being a patron nonetheless. And thank you to all our Patreon patrons for deciding to be part of the almost 1%. Thank you so much. It means so much to us. And until next time. Only the faithful will be triumphant. Only the faithful will stand when all others fall. And only the faithful know no despair except in failure. You've been listening to Garage Hand. If you've enjoyed the show, maybe consider leaving us a positive review on iTunes or check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash garagehammer. If you'd like to reach us, you can contact us via our email address, garagehammer at live.com. You can also find us on Twitter. David is at GarageHammer. And Alex, that's me, is at SomeKindOfGeek30. Original music by Claire Seabrook. You can find more of her work at SoundCloud.com slash Claire Seabrook Music. Finally, if you want to join the GarageHammer community, as well as the AOS community worldwide, you can comment on our episodes in the show thread at the Grand Alliance forums, that's tga.community, or check out the Garage Hammer Facebook page. And as always, thanks for listening. Who shall stand when the foundations of the heavens crumble? Only the faithful! Who will preserve the light to its last gleaming? Only the faithful! Who will defend all that is, even unto oblivion? Only the faithful! Who stands before me clad in silver and blood? Only the faithful! Who shall be triumphant? Only the faithful! Who shall be redeemed? Only the faithful! Who will stand until the last stone is dust? Only the faithful! Who will rise when all others fall? Only the faithful! Who will know victory? Only the faithful! Who rides the lightning? Only the faithful! Who will be victorious? Only the faithful! Who are the unluckiest souls in creation? Only the faithful! Who will face the dark and cast it back? Only the faithful! Who will walk the world's black rim and fear no shadow? Only the faithful! Who kneels here to receive the blessings of the heavens? Only the faithful! Who is this I see before me? Only the faithful! Who will dare the darkest road at my side. Only the faithful. Who will be remembered? Only the faithful. Who will the darkness fear? Only the faithful. Who will hold though the seas rush in and the ground crumbles? Only the faithful. Who knows no despair save in failure?
failure. Only the faithful. Who will ride the storm winds? Only the faithful. Who will be the light in the darkness? Only the faithful. Who is it that kneels here before me? Only the faithful. Who shall rise like fire when all is dust? Only the faithful. Who will carry the light of his ear into the darkness? Only the faithful. Who finds salvation in sacrifice? Only the faithful. Who alone shall stand when all others kneel? Only the faithful. Who shall hold up the heaven's foundations at the end of all things? Only the faithful. Who will be victorious? Only the faithful. Who will dare walk through the fire? Only the faithful. Who shall carry my light into the darkness? Only the faithful. Who will be triumphant? Only the faithful. Only the faithful. Only the faithful.